Okay, guys, with all that down, let's talk about a couple things off the top. And the first thing we're going to talk about off the top is this. You know, it's all the rage in theaters and, and movies and all that kind of stuff, Rob, the last couple of years to take older franchise, hmm. polish them up and make them new again. We've no. seen it happen a lot. And one of the franchises that people have been talking a lot about is Lethal Weapon. There's been there's been talk for a couple of years now about them trying to get the gang back together and do a Lethal Weapon 5. We've heard Danny Glover say he's all in for it and, and he thinks they can make it happen. We've heard Mel Gibson recently say he's all for it and he thinks they can make it happen. Well, apparently he's taken another little bit of a step forward as Lethal Weapon director Richard Donner is saying that he is coming back to direct Lethal Weapon 5. That's what he's saying. Uh, this is what he went talking about. He says, this is the final one. It's both my privilege and duty to put it to bed. It's exciting, actually. Ha ha. It's the last one. I promise you that. So <laughs> in, in the midst of all this stuff, Richard Donner is now saying that he is indeed going to come back and direct this thing. Now, it should be noted here that to the best of my knowledge, this this is not a movie that's been given a green light. We simply have... You know, uh, Danny Glover, we have Mel Gibson, and now we have Richard Donner all saying that, oh, they'll come back and do it. They'll come back and do it. Richard Donner said, yes, I, I have, I'm signed on. If this movie gets made, I will direct it. And that's all good news, but they still got to clear that hurdle of a studio looking at it and saying, should we put $60 million into this and see if they do? Rob, two different questions for you. Number one, will and should they even do a Lethal Weapon 5. And if they do move forward with it, uh, is it appropriate that Richard Donner himself comes back to direct? Start with that first one. Will and should they even do it? What do you think? <laughs> well, look, I don't mean to be ageist, John, but Richard Donner himself is 90. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how, how old Danny Glover is. I don't know how old Mel Gibson is, but they're cops. You know, I mean, how old are cops? How, how long can lethal weapon cops be lethal weapon cops for? I mean, when do you how long up? can Danny Glover say he's too old for this shit? Yeah. When when he's beyond that, I mean, Danny Glover's got to be at least, what, 70 now? It probably more like how do you make a believable film out of that franchise again? The first lethal weapon came out in 33 years ago. How many cops are even cops for 33 years? That's a long, that's a long, I just think it's a stretch. Now, uh, however, if there was, if they played into that, you know, and, and these guys were long retired, you know, and they have to like, they have to like the, the old Western, the professionals, you know, these old guys have to strap them on and go fight evil one more time or, or, or pull off a job. I, I would dig that, you know, like one of those Michael Douglas movies where they all go to Vegas together. You know, <laughs> I love that I, movie. Las Vegas. I, I love that movie. Las Vegas. But but you know, it's it, what do you, how do you do that? Like uh, look, I love the fact that Warner Brothers Clint Eastwood's making a new movie for them and he's 90. Yeah, so why not? More power to Dick Donner. I mean, I I'm a huge fan, so let's maybe he'll maybe he'll reboot Lady Hawk with well, Rutger Hauer's no longer. <laughs> Rutger Hauer's no, no longer. Michelle so, Pfeiffer's still so, there. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer's around. Matthew Broderick, Navarre, you know, oh, he's dead. But I think it could be it could be I'll watch it. Chris I, Rock, he'll come back. Renee Russo's still around. The only Joe thing. Pesci. Yeah, they're all there. 
The only thing I ask is that if they, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't go to bed last night going, you know, saying my evening prayers and Lord, please let us have a lethal weapon five. I mean, I, I didn't do that. 74, John. He's 74. 70. Actually, that's a little bit. He still looks great. I think he's, I think Danny Glover's great, but I will say this. If they do it, I'm fine with it. I'm not asking for it, but if they do it, I'm fine with it. The only thing I wouldn't want them to do is do what a lot of other franchises have done, which is. It's about passing the torch to the new generation of Lethal Weapon, where you have them, you know, Riggs and Murtaugh come back to do a mentor program at the thing, and they're doing these two young cops. No, no, listen, if you're going to do it, if you're going to do it, make the movie about Riggs and Murtaugh. Focus it on them for whatever adventure they need to have at their age. Play the comedy into it. uh, And and we'll see. That's the only thing I ask. The question is for you guys. What do you think? about that you know richard donner says he's going to direct this thing and he'll be the last one he says do you think it's even going to happen if it does are you curious to check it out maybe you are maybe you're not jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with that down let's do another off the top here shall we you know rob wonder woman 84 uh or 1984 it's ww84 wonder woman 84 has just come out in theaters and uh, and obviously on HBO Max. And it's fair to say it has come out to mixed reception. A lot of people really did quite like it a lot. A lot of people really hated it. And a bunch of people are kind of in the middle like me, although I lean more towards being quite disappointed by it. Nonetheless, uh, it's a movie that's out there and everybody's talking about and everybody's having a good time with. Here's one of the interesting things about it, though, Rob. Despite the fact that there's a lot of different opinion about the film, one part of the film that most people seem to agree on was that the best part of the movie was probably that opening scene on Themyscira. I, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who didn't like the movie, but said, oh, yeah, yeah, that opening scene was that was, that was pretty fun. That was pretty good. I know I myself watching the first scene, Rob, watching the first scene. I felt duped because I'm like, this is great. Like, so I watched the first scene. I'm like, this movie's awesome so far. And then for me, it, it kind of fell off. Of it. But everybody seemed to agree that they liked that first scene. Well, apparently not everybody liked the first scene because according to Patty Jenkins herself, Warner Brothers wanted her to cut the scene out of the movie. Uh, the one part that everybody seemed to like. Now, this uh, this is is interesting. She was talking in an interview and she said the following. It was not always written in, talking about the opening part with Themyscira. It was not always written in. It was the success of the first film, Themyscira, but it was also something else. I wouldn't have jammed it in there because of the success of the film because it actually made the movie too long. She's absolutely right. The movie was too long. No doubt about it. It actually made the movie too long. We have two openings in our movie and we talk about it with the studio all the time and they would say, you've got to cut the mall and 80s stuff out or you've got to cut out the Amazon stuff. And I was like, we can't cut either. So so Warner Brothers apparently wanted her to cut either the 80s and mall scene or the Amazon scene. Now, look, I'm glad to hear Patty Jenkins kind of acknowledge one of the critiques that a lot of us, even people who really like the film, have kind of called out, that the film was too long. 
this was not a movie that needed to be two and a half hours long. I, I think there a lot more crispness and tightness of the story and a good pace could have been done if they had like excised 25 minutes of the film out. So I'm glad she acknowledged that. But the notion of taking out, to me, of taking out that open Amazon scene, that's a ridiculous notion. That, that, that scene isn't only probably the best scene in the movie, at least best sequence, but it also did something that other films have a hard time doing. It starts the movie off on a really strong foot. Now, it kind of lost its momentum after that to me, but it started off on the on a really good strong foot. So I find that interesting that Warner Brothers wanted to pull that out. I'm, I'm so glad she kept that in. That said, not to sound like I'm all, yeah, Patty against the man, I... I also kind of wish she listened to Warner Brothers when they said, you know what? You can cut out that mall scene. You can cut that scene out. The scene didn't really do anything. All you needed for the sake of the narrative, Rob, was a short sequence of just showing that this there was a, a break-in at a local fence jewelry place and, and some ancient artifact was stolen. That's all you needed. Because that opening action sequence, while there was a couple of cute little moments in it, completely unnecessary, didn't serve the overall story, didn't come back into play, even the whole 80s, very small 80s nostalgia they did there. So I'm super glad Patty kept that Amazonian scene. You needed to have that. I kind of wish she pulled out the other stuff. I don't know, Rob, you hear about this. What do you think? Well, I mean, clearly the movie is two and a half, two and a half hours. It's really long. Now, I don't know, John, if you were going to fence rare antiquities would your first place that you would take them to be a jewelry store in a shopping mall no dude it would be to the uh, pawn stars guys chum lee I, I, chum lee I, here I, you go it, get get me top dollar I for this mean, it, it, it's like how do you even get your rare antiquities in and out of the mall without being spotted i mean it's just the whole thing was so silly and then of course wonder woman in full wonder woman garb trying to not be noticed by people oh, as she's using her, her lasso to destroy the surveillance cameras as if she could suddenly get all of them. You know, she's not exactly hiding who she is. And it's just, there, I thought that there was so much ridiculous about that mall scene. I kind of was like, uh, I get why they're, why they're doing it, but it, it seemed to me sort of counterproductive and it didn't seem like Wonder Woman was being very smart you know about what and what you think trying to stay incognito while having a six foot tall gorgeous woman scantily clad dressed in shiny gold that that wasn't incognito that wasn't keeping her flying under the radar really i i, I mean in front of hundreds of people you know luckily people didn't have cell phones back then but it's just it seemed like i understand why they did it but it just seemed a little goofy I yeah I I I I see your point there. I mean there. I get that they they needed to have an action scene. But but it's it it just seemed to me like I get they wanted to to me it was the most cliché shopping mall scenes were cliché in 1984. We'd had Fast Times at Ridgemont High come out. We'd had Valley Girl come out where shopping malls had already be, been shown as these great meccas of of American consumer culture and of course Dawn of the Dead. But in 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 Going back to 84, that was all they could come up with was going back to a shopping mall. I mean, I think Stranger Things season three kind of had. The, I was uh, just thinking that I was I mean, just and thinking they that did a really interesting thing like this Russian base was built underneath the mall. I, I, I so mean, ridiculous, was, but so yeah. fun. Uh, anyway, guys, question is for you. 
What do you think about this? Uh, Warner Brothers wanted to pull not just the the shopping mall scene, but they wanted to pull what I kind of thought was the best scene of the movie, the opening Amazonian scene. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think they should have left them both in? Do you think they should have pulled them both out? Maybe one or the other. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top here. This one is really interesting to me because I'm dying to see how this is going to play out. All right, as we all know, there is a new Batman film coming from Matt Reeves simply called The Batman. The trailer dropped during DC fandom. Of course, the movie's been delayed several times, obviously, as every film in the world has. But everybody got really excited about that trailer. And for good reason. The trailer was pretty great, especially for a first look. Like for a first look, that trailer was dynamite. Didn't really give us much. It just gave us a taste, a little bit of a taste. As a as a first trailer that's dropping, it was just really well done. Got us all excited. Now, another piece of news that got a lot of people excited was the fact that we're going to see Ben Affleck back in the Flash movie. Now, whether it's going to be for a 15-second cameo, whether it's going to be for 20 minutes of screen time, I don't know. It's probably closer to the cameo, but... But who knows how big that role is going to be. So we got him coming back too. Well, according to Walter Hamada, DC is getting ready to embark. Walter Hamada, who is the sheriff, of course, over there at DC. DC is getting ready to embark on having two completely separate Batman movie franchises running at the same time. Let me say that again. They're talking about having two completely different Batman movie franchises running at the same time. Uh, Walter Hamada, again, the head guy over there, uh, this is what he has to say. So this comes to us from Movie Web Rights. Robert Pattinson isn't going to be the only Dark Knight in town when the Batman is released, as the plan at DC Films moving forward is to produce not just one, but two separate Batman movie franchises running simultaneously. In a recent interview with the New York Times, DC Films President Walter Hamada spoke about these plans, confirming that a new actor, a new actor will be brought in to replace Ben Affleck in the DCEU. That's a big piece of news all by itself right there, because a lot of people started wondering and speculating and people like me hoping on hope because you guys know how I feel about Ben Affleck, but uh, that maybe Ben Affleck, this flash thing was just the start for him. According to Walter Hamada, they are going to bring in a new actor to replace the Ben Affleck Batman in the DCU, while Robert Pattinson will still play the superhero in the unconnected movies on his own. Walter Hamada said the following, I don't think anyone else has ever attempted this. He's not wrong. Hamada said of DC Films' plan for bringing two different Batman to theaters on a consistent basis, but audiences are sophisticated enough to understand it if we make good movies they will go with it. I want to read that last line from Hamada again. If we make good movies, the audience will go with it. If we make good movies, the audience will go with it. Rob, I got to tell you, I love that comment from him. Because, you know, I, I often say the whole idea is like, oh, is so, so we talked about Tom Holland the other day. Is four movies coming out in one year going to be overexposed? What I say, it won't matter if the movies are good. If people like right. the movies, they won't care. You know, people said, oh, do you think the DCU, instead of, you know, they should have started like Marvel, had like four or five individual films and then build up to Justice League. I said, it's irrelevant. The formula doesn't matter. If they had all started off, if all the movies had just knocked it out of the park 
with the audiences and critics, nobody would care. Nobody would care what formula they followed if all the movies were super well received. Because Rob, as we always say, winning cures everything. I have no... I have no problem with the idea of two different of, of, of one character being portrayed in two different fran- two different franchises. The concept, though, of running two completely separate Batman franchises at the same time. I, I that sounds a little wonky to me. And I'm not just talking about having Robert Pattinson's Batman movie and then having Ben Affleck popping up as his Batman in Flash, but literally another Batman movie while the Batman, the Pattinson version, is also running a franchise at the same time. This sounds kind of wonky to me. Listen, but as ridiculous as it kind of sounds to me, and I do have my apprehensions about this idea, the bottom line is Walter Hamada said the underlining truth. If people really like Robert Pattinson's The Batman franchise and they really like this new Batman franchise, it won't matter. That's that's all people will care about is, are they good? Will it cause a little bit of confusion? Probably a little bit on the outside. But once you get into theaters, you know which movie you're watching. So I don't know. This could be. Look, it's doubling down on the fact, Rob, that they know their number one crown jewel character is Batman. They know that. So they're going to move on that, but whew, I just hope the Batman's really good or else these plans could go up pretty fast. And, and of course, the whole thing of that Ben Affleck, uh, apparently Hamada is confirming the Flash thing is, is a swan song uh, and, and whatever the reshoots he's done for the Justice League HBO miniseries, that's just a swan song. Then we're recasting him, which I'm a little disappointed in, but I get it at the same time. Anyway, Rob, you hear all of this. This is a lot to digest and take in. Yeah. What, what's your reaction to this? <laughs> well, it's ambitious. I mean, to me, you know, they, they look, you have to pre-plan things, obviously. But I think all of us, anybody who's a film fan or likes comic book movies and especially Batman, the character, and what we want more than anything else is great stories well told. And in my mind, it doesn't really matter how many movies you make with characters because you astutely pointed out like when you watch a tv series you're willing to watch 10 or 20 episodes that same character during a season and you don't not come back to it because you're like well i'm not going to watch this episode because i've already seen 11 of them this year so i'm not going to watch episode 12 that's not how it works you know if you're invested in the story and it's a really compelling narrative and it's something that you are are interested in you'll watch it and if they make great batman movies I'll go. And I think what's really interesting is now this idea of the multiverse, which is being pursued both by the MCU and by DC, I think they realize finally that the audiences for these movies, they get it. They understand. And as long as the movies are good, I think that's all that really matters. But I I, I also can't help but feel that there is this idea that because these movies seem to be a license to print money, uh, that they can just keep doing this, but you'll wind up sometimes with the birds of prey. Mm. And and I, I, I think that like with anything else, first and foremost, rather than say, we're going to put out multiple Batman movies, how about say, we're going to make these two great films and we're going to do every, everything we can to make them the best movies they can be. And oh, by the way, 
they're also Batman movies, you know, and, and, and I think that audiences are interested in all of these things as long as they're good. But when they lead, when you go, we're going to make two different, that doesn't excite me more than, uh, hearing about, well, how innovative and cool they're going to be. So it will be. And of course this raises question. I'm keeping a half an eye on the, and a lot of people in the live chat are asking about, well, okay, wait, they're talking about doing multiple Batman things. Where the hell is man of steel? Where the hell is Superman? Now, I I should point this out that months ago, Rob, we got on this show and I reported that I had been contacted by some people we know in the industry that said, JJ, this is before anybody else called JJ is going to do. They've offered him Superman. He's going to do Superman. And one of the options on his thing is that he wants Henry Cavill. Now that there was, I got conflicting information, both. If you guys remember this, both sources told me that JJ Abrams was doing a Superman movie. One told me that Henry, he wanted Henry Cavill to be the Superman moving forward. One told me that he was keeping his options open, that it could be Henry Cavill keeping his options open. So I said, look, I, I maybe they're both wrong. Maybe they're both right. But it is interesting to note, though, Rob, in the past couple of weeks, we've seen new reports starting to surface from other places saying that the J.J. Abrams thing is continuing to move forward. And like what I said a few months ago, some are saying that Henry Cavill will be the guy. Hope, 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 hope. Uh, and some saying that J.J. still wants to keep his options open. So it's going to be interesting to see. But I mean, there's something a little bit. Look, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to be one of these whiny fans that does do it my way or I'm going to boycott you. I'm, I'm not being one of those. But I, I it is. If you can run multiple Batman franchises at the same time, you got to be able to pull in Man of Steel too, can't you? I mean, what? But Rob, we know that the the reception to Man of Steel was very, very mixed. Do you, do you think there's an audience for a Man of Steel two at this point, dude? If you make a kick-ass Superman movie, people are going to show up. But they did make a kick-ass Superman uh, movie uh, with Man of Steel, and people I, didn't give it its due. Damn it. I look, you and I have been staunch defenders of that movie for a very long time. What it, what, what I found people wanted, they wanted it to be less grim. I think, you know, they wanted it to be more of a, of Superman bringing light and hope into everyone's life, you know, and and all of that. Um, I think it's really hard, especially in this day and age to make a Superman movie. That's compelling. I mean, I was actually, I was offering what if I was making a Superman movie, how I would open this Superman movie based on a, a favorite Superman comic storyline I had read. And I, to my mind, it's, it's not that hard. I mean, there's a million Superman comics you could look at for inspiration. I just think that, you know, Batman, people just think Batman's cooler than Superman is, you know, and even at the studio level, well, we got to make, you know, we've got the, we've got the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. We can make a movie, a Batman movie could make a billion dollars. But like you and I believe, I think you make a great Superman movie and it can be just as successful. It's just, I think it's harder to do. It it is tricky to do. So the question here for you guys is this. What do you think about uh, hearing Walter Hamada say that they are going to do not one with Robert Pattinson, but two separate Batman franchises, including one in the DCEU that will not be Ben Affleck. It'll be replaced by somebody else. What do you think about this? It's intriguing. I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't do it. If I were in Walter Hamada's shoes, I wouldn't go down that path. But he is right. If the movies are movies that fans love, 
everybody will be cool with it. How do you feel about it? Jump down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down and out of the way, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campia show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big topic or story that you think we should have as a main topic here on the John Campia show, just head on over anytime 24 seven to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form, fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free hit submit. And then maybe just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia show with that down. Let's get into main topic. Number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Maxi S who writes, Hey, John and crew. I know that 2020 was an exceptional year, but still a video game movie might have been better than the best comic book movie of the year. Of course, I am talking about Sonic. By the way, which do you think was the best comic book film of the year? New Mutants? <laughs> Thanks for all you did this year and keep on bringing the most filthy in the coming years. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, Maxi. And yeah, listen, we always talk about and joke about the fact that, you know, the curse of video game movies, death taxes, video game movies suck. It's the three immutable laws, the universe and all that kind of stuff. But just to put a cherry on top, of just how crazy of a year 2020 has been. Just how crazy of a year 2020 has been. It is very conceivable that a video game movie was better than any comic book movie that came out this year. <laughs> and there were more comic book <laughs> movies that came out this year than you think you might remember. There were more that came out than you might think. For example, let's look at this. There were actually four major comic like proper traditional comic book movies that came out in 2020. And those were birds of prey and the fabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, Vin Diesel's bloodshot new mutants finally made it into theaters after 17 years of sitting on a shelf. And of course, just now on Christmas day, wonder woman 84. So we had a number of comic book movies did just make it out in a golden era era of, um, in a golden era of comic book movies, it is nearly, as Vincini would say, inconceivable <laughs> that a video game movie would be decent, let alone better than any other comic book movie that came out that year. But in the year of 2020 and the crap bag that it has been, let's take a look at this. Was Sonic better than Birds of Prey? I'm not even going to address this too deeply and just say, hell yes, it was. Uh, now, look, I, I say that understanding that there are a lot of people out there that really liked Birds of Prey, and that's great. I'm not trying to yuck on your yum, as Chris Carr would say. The thumbs up. I celebrate that you loved it. I It was the first DCEU movie I did not enjoy. The first one that I, just, that I didn't like. I, I thought it was pretty poor. And Sonic was actually pretty fun and delightful. I like Sonic. What about Bloodshot? You guys know I'm a big Vin Diesel fan. I, I, I love me some Vin. I love Vin Diesel. Bloodshot was not good. Bloodshot was, and again, that's a subjective opinion, granted, but you are asking me. Bloodshot was not good. It just was a bad film, and I wanted to like it so badly. <laughs> uh, then New Mutants. New Mutants, the one that we had waited a long time for. And I'll say this. At the end of the day, New Mutants was a bad film. 
but it also did some interesting things in it that I walked out of the theater going, you know what? There were certain elements of that that I kind of enjoyed. I mean, overall, I couldn't really recommend it. Um, they did a number of things really bad, particularly their characters. And that's a bad start, Rob. When you start with not doing a good job with your characters, there's really no winning after that. They did some other things really well, but there was that. And then Wonder Woman 84, a movie I did not hate, but I was clearly disappointed in. And Rob, I can only speak for myself. And maybe this is a commentary of how truly decent Sonic. I didn't think Sonic was great, but it's a charming entertaining little film so i don't know if this is more of a commentary of just how charming and entertaining uh sonic was or if it's more a commentary on 2020 man how bad the comic book movies were this year but i will say for myself rob when i look at the you know the the menu laid out before us i've actually got to wonder upon wonder say a video game movie yes was better than any comic book movie that came out this year. I think Sonic the Hedgehog was a better movie than any of the comic book movies that came out. So I can't believe I'm saying that. If you asked me that a year ago, I would have thought it was ridiculous. But Rob, uh, what do you think about this? Was this a year? Like when you compare this film to the other comic book ones that came out, was a video game movie the best film, better, better than any comic book movie that came out this year? What do you think? <laughs> well... Uh, you know me, John, I'm always talking about authorship. Like, what was the intent? <laughs> right. What was the intent behind what you're making? And I can't deny that not only did the filmmakers, I think, make the movie they set out to make, they even listened to fans of the Sonic video game franchise and altered the look of Sonic himself or itself um, to make the, him more palatable or it more palatable to the fans of the game. And I think that what Sonic set out to do, it absolutely succeeded at doing. And I think the other films, well, didn't. You know, I desperately wanted to love New Mutants. I was so excited for it because it was based on the Demon Bear storyline. And and I just felt it was kind of like, eh. I, I can't believe, it. to me, truly, I hate going, meh. I hate that. I hate when people write that. I hate seeing M-E-H in any format. But <laughs> when I saw New Mutants and I got to see it at the drive-in and at the Rose Bowl and I was all excited. But it kind of – I finally understood for very, maybe the first time what meh really meant, at least to me. I, I, I don't usually have that reaction. And, you know, uh, Bloodshot, I wanted to like Bloodshot too because I'm a fan of the Valiant Universe. <sighs> I just was was not pleased, John. <laughs> but Sonic, <laughs> I actually caught up with late in the game. And it was fun. You know, I was like, okay. I, I, for what it was, it was exactly what it was supposed to be. And I, I found it more entertaining to watch than the other four films, which is weird. Yeah. And, and like I said, I don't think it was fantastic. But I walked, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you, I walked out of the theater with a real good, solid grin on my face. I enjoyed it. And the post credit scene was really fun and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, guys, listen, as ridiculous of a year of 2020 it is, add on top of it that I'm saying that I think a video game movie was better than any comic book movie this year. Will that ever happen again? Who knows? What do you think? Maybe you think one of those other comic book movies were better than Sonic and you would still say that a comic book movie. But Rob, that actually raises a good question. Out of the ones that are there, 
out of the comic book movies that we did get, you know, Birds of Prey, Bloodshot, New Mutants, Wonder Woman 84, uh, you know, the, the person who sent in the question also asked, which one do we think was the best comic book movie of the year? I'm, oh boy. I, oh, I hate saying this. I think New Mutants. I actually, I actually think I hated or disliked New Mutants the least. I think New Mutants is the one I dislike the least. When you look at those four films, Rob, Birds of Prey, Bloodshot, New Mutants, Wonder Woman 84, which to you was uh, the the prize of 2020 comic book movies to you? Well, having just called New Mutants meh, I'm going to agree with you because <laughs> uh, because the other... You know, what's really interesting to me is, is uh, I don't know if you know Daniel Alter. He's a producer. Yes, I do. Yeah. So Daniel tweeted that the Snyderverse is the core of the DC movie universe. Ben Affleck is the Batman. And no matter how many people try and reset this, it blows up in their faces. I agree with that. I think that what's really interesting is whether you like Man of Steel or Batman v Superman, there is a mythic quality to those films that maybe it's because he takes a, a Zack Snyder takes such inspiration from Alex Ross's paintings. And while I haven't like we like Man of Steel, I, I didn't love everything in Batman v Superman, but I like a lot of it. Like, I don't think it all hangs together perfectly, but individual scenes when I watch them, I'm like, this is really it's visionary and it has a really interesting feel to it. And it feels like other movies like Birds of Prey or what they tried to do with recutting Suicide Squad, they're always trying to move away from what Zack Snyder did. And I'm like, you know what? You guys should try and embrace it because the feel of what he's tried to do is different than the MCU. And there is a quality to it that is unique to those films. And, it, I, you know, I think Batman v Superman, if it didn't cost as much money, they would think it was a hit. But it didn't make a billion dollars because it cost like four hundred and fifty million or something. And I, I just think that you you watch Birds of Prey and I'm like, who is this movie for? Like, what audience are you going after? And I I I I'm like, even as Harley Quinn was introduced in Suicide Squad, I'm like, is this what we want from this movie? And I I, I keep thinking that no, it isn't. <laughs> You know, and at least at least New Mutants knew what it was trying to be. And while I didn't think it totally succeeded, it was enough. It, it, it wasn't insulting. I didn't think it was. I'm like, why are you doing this? I felt like I felt like they really tried to adhere to the, the subject matter and make a good movie out of it. But the other films I felt were sort of they're all trying to be other movies. And it was weird. Question is, guys, what do you think? Was Sonic a video game movie better than any comic book movie that came out in 2020? And which of the comic book movies that did come out to you was the best Never. one? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's get into main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Patrick Lohr, who writes... Aloha, John. The NFL is about to go into the playoffs. Yes, it is. I'm very excited. And the Super Bowl is not too far away. Beginning of February. I think it's February 6th or 5th or something like that. It's, it's like just a month away now. The Super Bowl is not too far away anymore. This means that trailers for big movies are usually being released. What is your prediction on trailers that are going to be released around that time? 
thank you very much. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Patrick. And here's the really interesting thing. The really interesting thing about the, the, the whole question, like every year as we come up to Super Bowl time, the question that we all want to ask and throw out there is which trailers are coming this year? Which trailer? Because that's always the big thing, right? Because the Super Bowl is by far, like, Rob, it's not even close. It is by miles and miles and miles. The Super Bowl is by far and away the number one televised event of the year. More eyeballs are on the Super Bowl than any other event of the year, like by a significant margin. And therefore, it costs a lot of money for you to put up. It's in the millions of dollars for a 30-second spot that you got to pay to put up a, a trailer at the Super Bowl. So you know if a studio is putting out a trailer at the Super Bowl, you know that studio is serious about that movie. Studio is serious about that movie. Here's the interesting thing. As we talk about the Super Bowl and trailers that played, let's take a trip back, Rob. Let's go back to the Super Bowl of 2020. And let's take a look at all the big trailers for the movies that were coming soon to theaters near us that played during the Super Bowl. Black Widow played during the Super Bowl last year. That movie has still not come out. Mulan played at the Super Bowl last year. It, it did get its release. Top Gun Maverick was a trailer that played at the Super Bowl. It did not come out. James Bond No Time to Die was a trailer that played at the Super Bowl. It has not come out. Invisible Man, which was all kinds of delightful, by the way. That, that Elizabeth Moss Invisible Man movie was a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoyed it a great deal. I thought it was great. And then we had uh, Minions, uh, the Gru, the uh, Despicable Me uh, Gru movie played. It didn't come out. Rob, we've got six significant movie trailers that played at the Super Bowl last year. And only two of them actually came into theaters. So we still got that. So that leads into the thing about what are going to be the trailers that play? Well, honestly... The trailers that I can see playing the most, the, the ones that I think have the highest chances of being played at the Super Bowl this year, are those four that never came out. Black Widow, uh, The Minions, uh, Top Gun, and uh, what was it? And James Bond, No Time to Die. I honestly feel like those four movies are like probably our top prospects of getting played. But Rob, beyond which trailers will play at the Super Bowl, to me, this, there's also a, a litmus test here that we hear a lot of studios like Disney, like Universal and others talking about how we're, we're putting our movies out in theaters this year. We got the vaccines on the horizon. We see the UK is doing a killer job actually getting their vaccine stuff out. You know, we're putting them out. That's good. Everybody can say that. But to me, the come to Jesus moment is the where how we're going to see which studio is actually really serious about that is who's going to put up the millions and millions of dollars to run Super Bowl spots for a film cuz that to me that tells us exactly who is dead serious about their theatrical releases because Disney Plus and Universal they're not going to spend 5 million dollars on a single 30 second ad spot for something that's going to pop up on a streaming service even if it is Disney Plus they're not going to spend that money for that reason you can say but John Mulan ended up on streaming yeah but they didn't know that when they played the Mulan trailer at last year's Super Bowl so i think it's a really interesting thing so rob two parter question for you 
Number one, uh, which trailers do you think are likely we're going to see play at the Super Bowl this year? And then number two, do you agree or disagree with my position here that I think this is going to kind of be a little bit of a, you know, where the rubber hits the road test about which studios are actually serious about putting their movies in theaters this year? But how do you see this? Well, first of all, I think you're going to see uh, streaming service ads. I think you're going to get an HBO Max ad on the Super Bowl. I agree. I just don't think we're going to get a, a full. They're going to spend five million dollars for one film. But I do agree. No. We'll probably see an overall service yet because HBO Max is way behind right now. So I, I agree with you on that. Absolutely. And I do think we'll probably get because No Time to Die is, is supposed to open in April. I think we're going to get a No Time to Die trailer. I think we're going to get a Black Widow trailer. I think we're, we might even get a Dune trailer, uh, even though it comes out in October. Top Gun Maverick, <laughs> a lot of the trailers that we saw a year ago, hell, they don't even have to change the trailer, just throw them up again on the uh, on the Super Bowl ads, you know, um, even though I think they'll make new ones. I, I, because, look, these movies still cost the same. They still have to generate interest, and whether it's a streaming service paying for those ads or or not, we're, I think the biggest movies of the year are still going to be featured on the Super Bowl. It's tradition. People expect it. And after all, these movies, they want to push them as hard as they can, especially with vaccine rollouts. And, you know, um, so of all the movies we saw last year, we're going to be seeing them again. And then everything else that's been pushed. I, I want to see I want to see a new fast saga. I want to see Han, man. Give me my <laughs> Han. I'm Justice for Han. Remember that, John? That was oh. supposed to happen a year ago. And now we're going to get it again. 2021 is the year. Justice for Han is served. Woohoo! Just justice for Han is served. He says. Uh, well, let me ask you this though, Rob. When you're looking at these these things, I mean, is it truly a litmus? Like, if, if we say, I'm still a little bit quite like I know Disney is saying over and over over again. No, Black Widow's theatrical, and and quite frankly, I thought if there was any chance they'd put it to straight to Disney Plus, they would have said that during the Disney. Uh, investors yeah. meeting, but let's say a universal film or whatever does spend the money, pays four, five, six, whatever million dollars it is just for one 30 second spot to you. Do you believe that is in fact an indication that that studio is dead serious about putting that movie out in theaters? Or do you think maybe it doesn't mean that? How do you see that? Well, you know, I mean, if, I would expect, say, Universal to throw us a Jurassic World 3 Dominion or whatever trailer. But I, I think I think all studios, for the most part, with the exception, I mean, even Warner Brothers is saying day and date, they're still expecting to release their movies theatrically. Uh, California, we just had our lockdown extended because the pandemic is raging worse than it ever has here. So the situation for movie theaters has not changed as much as, of course, we would have hoped. Maybe the maybe the rollout of the vaccine will 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 make that better. But I still think everybody still thinks their movies are going to get re released theatrically. So I, I think that the, the thought process is still with theaters. Um, I, I I just don't. I just don't know. I mean, they, everybody might just have to throw in the towel and go, nope, we're following the Warner Brothers model for 2021. But I do believe right now people still think theaters are going to open and that people are going to go to theaters. So right. I think the marketing is going to still be in that direction. All right, guys, question is for you. What do you think about that? What trailers are you expecting to see at the Super Bowl? It's still a month away, but we can start speculating. And also, 
What do you think it says about a studio's intentions if they do or do not market at the Super Bowl? What do you guys think about that? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into our third and final main topic today. And our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Nino Bertelli, who writes, Hi, John and Rob. It was a great Christmas for me as a movie fan. Even though I didn't get to go to my beloved movie theater, I was at least able to watch two movies that I really enjoyed in both Soul and Wonder Woman. I'm glad you liked them, man. I read a story in Bloomberg that said Soul generated about four times as many new subscriptions for Disney Plus than Wonder Woman 84 did for HBO Max. Why do you think... Uh, and are you surprised Soul dominated like that? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate it. And yeah, listen, Rob, they, they are, I'm a numbers guy. I, I love analytics. I love numbers. Maybe that's just partially because I, I come from like a sports background and I love sports so much. So I'm all about analytics and numbers and all that sorts of stuff. But we all knew that going into this weekend, you know, Disney had their big movie that they were putting out on their streaming service with Soul. And obviously, HBO Max had their big movie that they were putting out in Wonder Woman 84. I suspected Disney might perform a little bit better. I was not prepared for by how much. Uh, This comes to us from the folks over at Screen Rent and Bloomberg that write, a new report from Bloomberg says that both Disney Plus and HBO Max saw significant increases in subscriber numbers thanks to the release of Soul and Wonder Woman 84 on Christmas Day. But Disney Plus was the big winner. The report states that HBO Max saw a record of 554,000 app downloads on the weekend following the release of Wonder Woman 1984. But that was blown out of the water by Disney Plus, which saw over 2.3 million new app downloads following Soul's success. Let's read that last part again. The report states that HBO Max saw a record of half a million, 554,000 app downloads on the weekend following the release of Wonder Woman 1984, but that was blown out of the water by Disney Plus, which saw over 2.3 million new app downloads following the success of Soul. So there's that. Rob, there's a couple things that should be kept in mind about these numbers. First thing to keep in mind, These app downloads strictly refer to mobile app downloads, tablets, uh, some on equipped laptops and computers and phones. Now, the Bloomberg report goes on to point out that the the ratio to that of home set-top devices like a Roku or an Amazon Fire Stick are expected to generally be on par with that. But just to be specific, that was only talking about mobile equivalents, although they say the ratio should be the same for Roku's and, and what have you. Rob, I, I got to tell you, these numbers surprise me. And the reason the numbers surprise me is because when you go back before Wonder Woman 84 and Soul came out, I put up a poll on my own Twitter asking people, hey, listen. Soul's coming out. Wonder Woman 84 is coming out. We're all excited about which one are you going to watch first? And an almost, almost two to one ratio, 65% of the respondents said they were going to watch Wonder Woman first. 35% said they were going to watch Soul first. But in actuality and in practice, it seems like a lot more people 
were drawn to sign up to a subscription service for Soul than they were for Wonder Woman 84. I don't really have a good answer for that, except to say uh, we something that we as film fans always underestimate, which is the power of the family film. Not that Wonder Woman 84 isn't, isn't family friendly, not saying that, but Soul was, is targeted and marketed as a family film. And maybe we continue to underestimate that, but that four times margin. And Rob, to me, it kind of highlights the, the difficult position that HBO Max is in right now because Disney has passed, in one year, has passed now 83 million subscribers. HBO Max is still sitting at about 12. So there's still a bit of a discrepancy there. And while... While a Warner Brothers rep said that the new engagement caused by Wonder Woman 84 exceeded their expectations, I heard from very connected people that is completely not true, uh, that Warner Brothers was expecting a bigger bump uh, than the one they got. Their, their public face is, wow, that half a million new subscribers, that exceeded our expectations. I've heard very reliably that is not true. That they weren't expecting 5 million new subscribers. Don't get me wrong. But I have heard quite definitively that their real expectations was that it was going to be a number that actually well exceeded half a million. They, they paid Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot each $10 million in bonuses based on an expectation that Wonder Woman 84 was going to be a billion dollar film of the theater and was going to do significantly better for them on HBO Max. Still, it is a record weekend for HBO Max in getting new subscribers. That's a win. But I, I, I other than the family film angle, Rob, I really can't come up with a good explanation as to why Soul and Disney Plus so outperformed HBO Max with Wonder Woman 84. Maybe word of mouth that traveled really fast. I don't know. What's your take on this? Well, I think that there's a lot. Look, I'm going to go back to The Mandalorian on this one because I think there's a lot of people who hadn't embraced Disney Plus and they needed, now that, you know, another Pixar movie, you had Onward go there after, right after it had been dropped in theaters. But I think there's a lot of people that might have been on the fence about getting Disney Plus or whatever that, you know, late adopters. They've been hearing about The Mandalorian for so long. Obviously, Luke Skywalker coming back and Soul. I think the combination of these things uh, was kind of a perfect storm. So people that didn't jump on the Disney Plus bandwagon finally decided, well, Luke's back. We better, we better get Disney Plus. You know, I think that was all part of it. And the whole thing about Wonder Woman 84, it's not like Wonder Woman 84, this whole new idea of it going to theaters and then also being on streaming. John, I just don't think Wonder Woman 84 had, like, uh, we, we wanted to see it, but my must-see on Wonder Woman 84 was more driven by my need to talk about it on this show, hmm. where I wasn't necessarily that excited about it, whereas... I'm always excited about a Pixar movie because they've delivered for 25 years. And I, I think just that could be a part of it. But I think it's a combination of what Disney Plus had going on. Remember, I mean, this Luke Skywalker business, people are still talking about it all over the Internet. And I think that was a big, big, big factor. I I, I think it might have been a factor. I'm not sure how big because it, it had – it was done a while ago. I mean, we're, we're talking about just this one weekend, but hey, you know what? 
Christmas weekend. That was it. People, you know, maybe they're waiting for some things to do. But can't we say that, you know, hey, HBO and HBO Max has a lot of really good content on their show, too. But I guess nothing that's super hot right now. Nothing that's super hot right now. Well, okay, then let's just focus on HBO Max here for a second. They, this was their first move and to take a major, major high profile tentpole film and put it straight to the streaming service. Should HBO Max, understanding where they sit in relation to the other big streamers, Netflix, Disney Plus, even Amazon, if you're a Warner Brothers executive right now over there, and you see half a million new subscribers as a result of the release of Wonder Woman 1984. Are you happy with that? No. <laughs> I mean, I, no. And, and I think that the, the thing is, they're looking at this as the future of entertainment. You know, you've got Warner Brothers, HBO Max. I, I think HBO Max's biggest problem, and you and I have talked about it, is that it's called HBO Max. Uh, people think it's just HBO. I don't think, look, we, we, the movie pundits and the people that are, that are doing shows like this, we all understand that. But if you were to say to my mom and try and explain to my mother what HBO Max is, she'd be like, yeah, I know HBO. What's the difference? I don't understand. I don't think, I don't think most people are really quite getting it yet. And it's because HBO, like it's not anything new. What's like we've said, HBO go HBO, this HBO, that, and they decided to call their streaming service HBO Max. And I think they just have a branding issue. And uh, I think that's a big part of it. And a half a million subscribers, that's that's only half a million people to go see who wanted to see Wonder Woman 84. I'll bet they thought they were going to get five million. I mean, they can't be happy with half a million when they're looking across the street at Disney probably past 100 million subscribers this holiday season. Let me ask you this, Rob. Let's say instead of Soul, uh, Pixar family film, uh, not the best marketing because it's very cerebral. It's it's very metaphysical. Yeah. So you you and I have talked before about how that seemed like a very difficult movie to to market and and all that sort of thing. Let's say it was an apples to apples comparison. Let's say that on Christmas Day, HBO Max launched Wonder Woman 1984, and Disney Plus launched Black Widow. That that's as close to an apples to apples comparison I can come up yeah. with. Do you think the gap becomes even bigger? How much success do you think Disney Plus has that that Christmas? And Christmas is obviously a big day to do it. But I mean, how big do you, do you think there'd be any difference in the gap at that point? Or do you think it would just be the same? No, I think there would be. I think it would be comparable as it is now or even bigger. Because obviously you've got the MCU behind it and the MCU with its success. You can't argue with that success. And again, you know, ultimately... Wonder Woman turned out to be, I think, for a lot of people, there's people that really like it, but I, I was actually, it made me sad that I was so disappointed in Wonder Woman. Like, I fe- Wonder Woman 84 made me feel bad as a film fan and as a Wonder Woman fan when I watched it that I, I was like, why don't, why isn't this movie better? And I, I'm like, it, it does, Wonder Woman deserved better. You know, and I'm like wandering around kind of bummed out. And I'll look, I think that had something to do with it too, that they just are assuming that a movie like Wonder Woman, because everybody just assumes, well, uh, the first Wonder Woman did this and everyone really liked it. So we got everybody coming back and, uh, 
I think that that's not the case. They have to stop thinking that everything is just going to be a built-in hit because the first one was. Every movie is its own business and has to be treated as such. You can't just ever, you can't ever sail off the success of the first film and expect that you're going to get the same success with a second movie. It has to live up to the first film. And I don't think Wonder Woman did. The other thing that should be noted here, and a little asterisk we should put in this as well, is we do also have to keep in mind that while it doesn't represent a massive thing, Wonder Woman also did play in theaters and made $16 million in a non-COVID era. That's pathetic. But in the COVID era right now, in the midst of a high pandemic, $16 million is not a bad result. So that probably also represents a number of people who maybe would have signed up for HBO Max had they not gone to the theaters to watch it. So you got to keep that part in mind, John, too, I think. John, there's also another big factor, which is cost. HBO hmm. Max is a lot more expensive than Disney Plus right now. That's true. Yep. Also, number of markets that that Disney Plus versus HBO Max and how many markets the two are in. So there's there's a, the numbers are the numbers, but there are some other extenuating circumstances you also have to keep in mind when looking at them. Still, you would think, as Warner Brothers thought, you launch Wonder Woman 84 in a home streaming service, the response was going to be much bigger. They thought the, res- the response was going to be much bigger. Question is, guys... What do you think about those results? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with all that down and out of the way, let's now move over and start taking your live comments and questions. Thank you guys so much for sending them in. So let's jump into it and start getting to them right now, shall we? Uh, the first one comes to us from Con Jampia, who writes, Pa Kent in Man of Steel, son, When I was like 15, we all had to make a wish, but then we got this massive psychic attack through our, through our tube TVs and all recanted them or something. The eighties were pretty wild, Clark. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't even think about that. How does, how does the events of Wonder Woman 84 play into comparison? Like really? Nobody ever mentioned the magic wish era back in the eighties. That's that would have been a scene. That would have been an interesting scene. Who knows? Maybe Zack Snyder plugged something about that. Remember back in 84 when everybody made a wish? Maybe they plugged that into the uh, Justice League miniseries. I don't know. Uh, I, I got no answer for that. That's, Can you imagine that scene? Oh, my God. That would be so funny. Everybody would just assume Clark was a result of the wish or something. I don't know. All right. Uh, thanks for that, man. Next up, Ants, uh, Ants Four Day Weekend writes, here's what I watched. Born Identity. Nice. Uh, let Them All Talk. Nice. Uh, the Lighthouse. Like, wild and weird. Uh, Krampus. Klaus. The Happiest Season. 19, Wonder Woman 84. Soul. The Dark Knight. The Last Crusade. My favorite Indiana Jones film. Uh, Good Time. Fantastic Robert Pattinson. Midnight Sky. Disappointed in Midnight Sky. Gotta say, I was looking forward to that George Clooney movie. Uh, this was my Christmas weekend. What have you been watching? Well, thanks a lot for saying that in. Well, I, I did get caught up on Midnight Sky. I heard a lot of great things about it. Uh, and I, I'm a big George Clooney fan. But I was ended up being pretty disappointed by it. Uh, obviously, earlier in the week, watched Soul, watched Wonder Woman 84. Didn't really watch... Rob, I don't know about you. I didn't really have time to watch a lot else because I also... Ann and I just bought a house and we're in the midst of getting everything prepped for the move. We have renovations going on at the house. So I didn't have a lot of time to watch an awful lot this Christmas holiday. Did you have uh, anything significant on your board that you guys watched? Yeah, you know, I, I watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Oh, nice. The Chadwick Boseman one. Yeah, based on the August Wilson play, and I, it's 
great. I mean, yeah, you can tell that it's derived from a play, but my God, what performances. Viola Davis, oh, she just knocked it out. I mean, she is money. All of the acting. I mean, I'm really, I'm a big fan of uh, Glenn Turman and uh, I, 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 it was great. I loved it. The performances are just all give that movie a SAG award for best ensemble cast. Wow. Uh, by the way, special thank you to in, in, in somatic in somatic who sent in a super chat badge. Thanks for that, man. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Uh, next one. We've got, uh, Russell Amador writes, Hey John, by any chance did you see the trailer to the little things? I did. Uh, the film stars Denzel, uh, Robbie Malik, and Jared Leto. It looks rather interesting. And I believe it is set to be the first film to start off the 2021 year on HBO max. Yeah. I was a little late to watching that trailer. We talked about it the other day though. I saw this trailer, but it looks, listen, Rob, you got to understand. I am a sucker for these mid eighties to mid nineties, serial killer agent trying to stop a serial killer kind of movies, whether you're talking about a seven or you're talking about a, a, a long came a spider or, you know, a kiss the girl. I, I'm a sucker for those kinds of movies. Now you take this movie being led by not one, not two, but three Academy award winning actors, primarily Denzel effing Washington. Rami Malik and I know a lot of people crap on Jared Leto. You go for it. You enjoy yourself. I think Jared Leto's an exceptional performer. I think he's an incredible performer. You got these three Academy Award winning, and the story looks great. It took me, gave me those vibes of those early to mid 90s types of films. I love this trailer for the little things. I cannot wait to watch this thing. Rob, what did you think about the did you have a chance to see the little things trailer? Bruh, I've watched that trailer like 10 times. <laughs> I love serial killer movies. This movie has a really interesting story behind it. Uh, John Lee is it John Lee Hancock who directed it. I think. I think so. Um, he wrote this script like 30 years ago, almost, and it was going to be made at Warner Brothers in the early 90s, and then it never got made. And then they went back in, and and uh, he John Lee Hancock or John Hancock wanted to get the script back, and the Warner Brothers brought it out of mothballs and looked at it again and said, yeah, we want to make this. I mean, to me, this is one of the movies I'm most excited about. I, I it wasn't on my radar till I saw the trailer, but Oh my God, I love <laughs> stories about serial killers and this looks badass. Absolutely. Three, three Academy award winners, dude. And they all look awesome in it. I can't. And, and Denzel looks badass as ever. Anyway, I cannot wait to see this. Thanks for that, Russell. All right. Next up, Murray Reich writes. So let me get this straight. If the Ravens, Colts, Browns, Dolphins have the potential to miss the playoffs at 10 and six, but a six and 10 NFC East team does make it in. There is something <laughs> effing wrong here, man. Something's got to change. Yeah. Listen, of course, the NFL playoff system. Is really weird. Now, if some of you don't follow sports saying, wait a minute, how could a six and 10 team get into the playoffs? It's because the winner of a division automatically gets in the playoffs. And and there is something to that. Win your division. You got to play every team in your division twice a year. If you win your division, you're in the playoffs. The problem is the NFC East absolutely sucks. But I will say this, Rob, <laughs> the NFC East also has the greatest story in all of sports right now. And that is the story. Many of you guys may not have heard of this. Now, even if, don't tune out if you're not a sports fan here for a second. This is an incredible human story. There is a guy 
Uh, and by the way, the Wakandan Forever sent in a super chat badge. Thank you, Wakandan. Uh, there is a quarterback by the name of Alex Smith who was dynamite for the for I thought he was a great quarterback, a very solid, reliable quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, he lost his starting job to Colin Kaepernick. He then kind of got shipped off. He ended up in Washington. And I, I've always liked Alex Smith. He's a great game manager, very solid, reliable quarterback. Doesn't turn the ball over. Just really good guy. A couple of years ago, he suffers, Rob. It, it's, it's reminiscent of Joe Theismann, one of the most horrific leg injuries I've ever seen in a game. Like his leg got mangled. Bro, and then terrible. from there, you got to watch the, the you, go look on YouTube for some documentary stuff on this. The dude nearly died as a result of, they actually called his family at one point to say, you might want to consider coming to the hospital because he may not make it. Um, he had 17 surgeries. At one point, they had cut so much meat off of his leg that the bone was just exposed. Like they, his like there was questions about whether he would walk again. There was questions about whether he would live. They really thought he was going to die. Then there was questions about whether he would walk again. And he determined, I'm going to play football again. And so he worked and worked and worked, got back onto the team as the third string quarterback for the Washington Football Club this year. Third string quarterback. Starter goes down, backup goes down, in comes in one game Alex Smith, and guess what? They play really well under Alex Smith. If Washington, as terrible as they are right now, but if Washington wins their game this weekend, Alex Smith will have brought the Washington football team into the playoffs, a guy they thought wasn't even going to live. And there's talk around the NFL right now. The NFL has the comeback player of the year award. That's a foregone conclusion. It's going to Alex Smith. There's actually some whispers going around the NFL that they may rename the comeback player of the year award to the Alex Smith award. <laughs> there's, I mean, I don't know that they're going to do that, but there's actually some legitimate whispers going around. It's, it's this type of real human triumph spirit, triumph of the human spirit stories is one of the reasons why I love sports. So yes, it is a mockery. But I'm going to be cheering for the Washington football team because I want to see this story. I want to see this Cinderella story because, Rob, I'm telling you, if if he gets them into the playoffs and if, let's say they even win a playoff game, there's there's somebody's going to buy the movie rights to this and make a movie out of this. This is this is one of those triumph of the human spirit stories that I just absolutely love. So if you guys get a chance, even if you're not a sports fan, tune in and watch some Alex Smith playing football there. But you're right, Murray. They got to do something about the playoff system because it is kind of ridiculous that a potentially 11-win team may not be get in the playoffs. 11-6 and six team, but a team with like six wins could get in. Have to wait and see. All right, next up. Uh, Murray also writes, not to mention also this, the eight and seven Bears have a chance to make the playoffs either by winning or by having the Cardinals lose, and they still make it at eight and eight. Yikes. Rob, there's there's actually, uh, just quickly, we'll get off the sports thing, but Rob, I was listening to Colin Cowherd the other day, and he was saying, this is an unprecedented thing. We are heading into the final week of the NFL season, and there are 11, no fewer than 11 teams that right now don't know if they're making it into the playoffs or not. <laughs> he said, you've never had that. There's always some question mark going into the final season. There's literally 11 teams that have a chance of being in the playoffs and don't know if they're in the playoffs or not. It's great. But your Seahawks are in. That's the I important thing. I was going to say, guess who is in the playoffs? The Jedi Knights of the Pacific Northwest. Is that who's getting in? 11-4, and four, baby. Yeah. And, and they're dangerous. They're dangerous, man. They're absolutely dangerous. Okay, let's move on here. Uh, next, Ryan writes, you're such a joker, Annie. <laughs> writes, no spoilers. 
What was the point of Wonder Woman 84? You have these godlike heroes and iconic villains, but by the time Wonder Woman 84 was over, I felt like both their world and the DCU was in the exact same spot as before. Even if executed perfectly, uh, the movie does nothing. You know, I've said the same, Rob, that was one of my criticisms about Wonder Woman 84. At the end of it, I was just like, well, what was the point of that movie? And, And I'm not talking about it in terms of being a part of the DCU. I'm great with a single standalone movie, but you mm-hmm. watch Joker as a single standalone movie. Like you got what this movie was for. What was this? What was the point of this movie? What happens to the world from the beginning of it to the end of it? What happens to the characters from the beginning of it to the end of it? Other than Diana sort of feels like she can move on with her life, which when we get into Batman versus Superman, she re- had reverted right back to not feeling like she could get off, with, get on with her life anyway. I was one of my bigger problems with Wonder Woman eighty four was by the end of it, I just was like, what was accomplished? What was the point of the film? If I were to ask you that, Rob, to defend the film, and I ask Rob, what was the point of eighty four? Do you think? How would you answer I, that? I, I, you know, I'm with you. I don't know. I mean, think about what happened in that movie: nuclear war broke out. <sighs> <laughs> the, the countries were launching nuclear missiles at one another. People were wish. I mean, imagine all the people that came back from the dead. Like, what do you wish for? Oh, I wish my mom came. I wish I could see my mom or my dad. The, the planet would be filled with, with deceased loved ones that people wished back into existence. I mean, the, the, the ramifications of the story, when you really start thinking about what went on are, are immense. And uh, they didn't deal with any of those things. And I think at the end of the day, the real problem with the movie is because it it was all just gobbledygook, it didn't resonate. Even opening in Themyscira, the opening there and the lesson Warner, Bro- Warner Brothers, the lesson Wonder Woman learned about you can't cheat, you can't take the you can't take the uh, the short path. What did that have to do with the rest of the movie? I mean, I guess you could say that, well, if you can wish for things, that's truly the short path, but that's not what happens in the real world. So that's not a lesson. And I think you're right. At the end of the day, that movie does not leave you with any resonance. I mean, in World War One, when when Diana participates, it's like the fact that man's world is in the midst of this global conflict where we're literally Europeans and Americans, we're, we're killing each other in horrible trench warfare with mustard gas and all of this awful, awful stuff is exactly the reason why she wasn't, that Diana wasn't supposed to go to man's world anyway. And yet her presence could make the world a better place. And you, 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 you were left with that at the end of Wonder Woman, the first Wonder Woman at, at the end of this movie, I'm like, Maxwell Lord is reunited with this kid you know, he has, he has, there's no consequences after all. What about all the, what about the world leaders that press the button, man, that launch those missiles? I mean, the world would have, the world would be a, a shambles after that movie is over. And we're supposed to believe that, well, wishes can't come true. So let's go back to the way things were. <laughs> Where'd all those missiles go? 
Yeah, and listen, that, you know, uh, one of our viewers right now, Kara uh, Zorel in the live chat saying, I don't care about the negativity. I really enjoyed it. Good. Like, I, I it's great. Yeah. Like, just because there are some people who don't like a film doesn't mean you shouldn't like it. I, I'm, if anything, Kara, I'm jealous because I wanted to have that experience you got to have. You had you had a unique experience with it and you enjoyed it. And that's awesome. And we're not trying to yuck on your yum. We're just kind of expressing why it didn't work for us. But just because it didn't work for us doesn't mean it shouldn't work for you. And if you liked it, that's awesome. You stick totally on that. Agree with that. All right, totally let's uh, let's move on here. Uh, next up, uh, Brandon writes, "Hello, John. We had the opportunity to see Wonder Woman in IMAX. I wish I could have, man. And I'll have to say, seeing it on that massive screen was magical. It may have impacted my thoughts on the film. Do you think seeing a movie on the big screen can impact the way we think about it? Well, yes, it can. Because here's the thing, Rob. What do we say all the time? What What do I? At least I say all the time about movies. Movies are experiential events." They're experiential events and things that impact your experience affect our overall interpretation of, of, of how we interpret the experience. We're not just evaluating a movie when we watch a movie, we're evaluating our experience watching the movie. And yeah, listen, there were several times in that movie, Rob, that I thought, man, especially that plane scene as they're flying over the clouds and the the uh, the fireworks are going off underneath. I, I'll tell you, I was sitting down on my couch watching that thinking, I wish I was seeing this on a big screen right now. I bet this would look awesome on a big screen. Uh, I even was wishing I could see the cheetah fight on the big screen and stuff like that. So yeah, no, it's totally understandable. The movie going experience is meant to be a theatrical experience. That's how directors make them. That is the best way to watch an experience in a movie. So yes, it will impact, not all the time, it's not a rule. Uh, and by the way, James Bonner, thank you for sending in that super chat badge, man. I appreciate that. Um, it's not a rule per se, but yeah, it's totally understandable that, that would affect your experience. Rob, I, I assume you've probably had the same thing where you've watched a movie on the big screen, watched it at home. Uh, do you do you notice for yourself a little bit of an experiential difference when you see them on different formats? A hundred percent. Look, I'm of the opinion that all movies, I don't care if they're a million dollar indie or a $300 million overblown superhero extravaganza like Batman v Superman or whatever, all movies benefit from being seen on the big screen. If no, if for no other reason, then there's no other distractions. It, they're truly enveloping and you, you're, you, there's nothing else you're paying attention to. And when things are larger than life, even people's faces, seeing a human face on a big gigantic screen and being able to look into someone's eyes it is an experiential event, John. That's exactly what it is. And if you're in a theater that has great sound, like I saw Blade Runner 2049 in IMAX. I went to the Chinese theater and there wasn't very many people there. The sound was in, at ear splitting volumes and I was completely transported. Like, I'm like, oh my God. I mean, I could feel the movie in all of my bones when the sound was, it was so loud with that Hans Zimmer pounding score. It was just, it was an experience. I felt it. You know, and it was overwhelming, and and that's what you want. You know, even if I'm watching something like Short Term 12, you know, I don't know where I picked that up, but uh, just that was another movie that even though it's a small, lower-budget, intimate film, you see it in a theater, and it becomes penetrating into your mind, into your soul. All movies are better off when you see them in a big screen in a theater. I completely agree. Uh, all right, next up here. We're going to go to uh, who's up? Cody John Walker, who tipped in a hundred dollars 
Wow, thank you, Cody, for supporting the channel on that level, man. Seriously, thank you. That's very, very generous of you, man. Thank you for supporting what we do here on that level. I really appreciate that. All right, uh, let's get to this question here. First, big congrats on your movie. I watched it on Thanksgiving and thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much. He's, of course, talking about uh, movie trailers, love story, our documentary. Available now. Go and check it out. Links in the description of the video below. Um, Well done. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Why are MCU fake deaths or lack of death of main characters a gripe slash weakness of the movies? Is death necessary to express tension, stakes, depth? Why or why not? It's a great question, Cody. And, and mm. this comes up a lot. I, You know, I love the DC, uh, the MCU. I love the MCU. I do. But one of my constant criticisms of the MCU is their consistent, regular over-reliance on the fake death. Oh, no, that character died. Don't worry, they're back. Oh, no, that character died. Don't worry, they're back. Here's the thing. Is death necessary to express tension? No. It's, death is not necessary. It's a great tool to do it if you use it, but it's not absolutely necessary for death to create stakes or tension. Not at all. Mm. Here's the problem. When you're a movie that uses the threat or potential of death as your tension builder, you lose that tension when the audience doesn't believe for a second that the character in danger is actually going to suffer those consequences. You can set up tension a million different ways in a movie and they're all good and valid and they can be effective. The problem is, if you constantly use one avenue to create your tension, but have shown your audience repeatedly that anything that does happen in this moment of tension isn't actually going to be what holds out and is going to be recanted, then any tension that would have been generated by that moment is lost. Just an example of hyperbole here, Rob. In, you know, uh, at the end of Infinity War, you know, as T'Challa was starting to dust. I'm like, okay, that's powerful and all, but uh, he's coming back. I mean, turns out he's not, but that that's obviously from a separate thing. But at the time I'm like, at the time I'm thinking, well, clearly he's coming back. So not worried about it. When, when Wanda, when Scarlet Witch dusts, it's like, okay, I get the moment, but like she's coming back. So in, in uh, Spider-Man, when, when Tony, I don't want to go, Mr. Stark. It's like, okay, that was a really good scene, but it didn't hit me the way it could have hit me because I just knew he's coming back. And the only one that really got me, Rob, was the death of Loki when Thanos says, no resurrections this time. Get ready for the Loki series on Disney Plus, ladies and gentlemen, right? It's... It, it, this thing. So no, death is not necessary to create tension, but when you use that as your mechanism to create tension and you constantly then reverse it, it takes away the tension from the moment. I don't know. Rob, ultimately, how do you respond to that? First of all, Loki did die in that scene. The Loki series, it's not the same Loki that died in Infinity War. I, I, don't, I don't buy just like it's, it's not the same Gamora. Guess what? It's Gamora. It's Loki. It's like I'm just can, pointing it out. I know, but you no. could say it's not the same Spock that came back in uh, in Star Trek uh, uh, Undiscovered. 
It's starting. It's not the same Spock that came back. It's but. The, it is the same Spock because Loki. It's a different. It's in a different quantum. A different quantum realm. You know, the Loki's from a different universe. It's different- it's semantics, semantics. Loki's back. No, I know. I'm just. But look, <laughs> I, I I think that yes, I think the threat of t- to me, uh, like as a comic book reader, when you watch the characters get dusted, what that does to me is it heightens the like. Well, how are we going to get them back? How are they going to do that? You know, I I always buy into that. Like, I understand it's a fake death, but as a comic reader, I'm always like. Wow, they really went there. How is it going to how are they going to come back? And you know, when all those characters get dusted, I really did feel when Peter Parker says, I don't want to go, Mr. Stark, I was like, oh man. Because you still it still sets up the return. But but the the idea of just using death willy-nilly all the time, well, that gets annoying. And I think it's counterproductive in terms of drama, because especially with superhero characters you you don't and when they actually do kill somebody like black widow everyone's like nah she'll come back you know at some point they'll bring her back and and i i don't like that i mean i like the fact that that she her sacrifice was real and it, it hopefully it will endure and you've got florence Pugh taking over or whatever they're going to do but I, I i think that's important but yes when you use death too many times and in the marvel movies i think they already have they it becomes meaningless and after a while, it's like, really, you're going to do this to us again? And I think it actually becomes, uh, it 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 becomes uh, detrimental to to the stories you're telling. Yeah, and to to that point, the one scene in the MCU that really did have the potential to have that big impact, and and has followed through to agree is the death of Tony in Endgame. Because the uh, the reason it had the impact is because the audience, for the most part, really does believe that that's actually it. Tony Stark is dead. He's gone. We're not going to have Tony in the MCU. And, and when that's there, now, I still missed out on it because I don't believe for a second we're not going to see Robert Downey Jr. back in the MCU again at some point. Maybe it's three years down the line or four years down the line, whatever. But But still, it had that extra power to it because everybody really did believe that was Tony dying. You know, it was it was his dying. I go back to a show that's one of my favorites of all time, Sons of Anarchy, right? The difference between a death scene in Sons of Anarchy or Sopranos or Breaking Bad or whatever and something like the MCU is that when a character dies, and th- those are all shows that I just mentioned, those are all shows that have no fear of killing off significant characters. When a character dies in that, you you are like, and you're invested in that show. I remember when Ope died in, in Sons of Anarchy, man. Because when his life was in danger, the, you feel far more tension and far more uh, thrill and, and fear and everything like that in one of those shows when it looks like one of your favorite characters may die. Because you know if they die, that's it. There's no alternate reality Ope coming back to the table at Sons of Anarchy. You know, if Gus when Gus Fring gets his face blown off, there's no Earth 5 Gus Fring coming in to take his place next week. When they die, they're gone in the show. And it adds to that. And I remember when Ope died in Sons of Anarchy, my favorite character on the show, I'm like, I was an emotional wreck. And I just didn't feel, you don't feel that really as much in 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 comic book movies or fantasy. And they all do it. Supernatural does it. The DCU does it. Star Wars has done it, whatever. But it's just, MCU has just done it so many times that it really kind of starts to hurt what they're doing. Anyway, uh, thanks for sending that in, Cody John Walker. Really appreciate that, man. Uh, all right, let's 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 move on now here. 
Uh, next up, we got Eric Lynch who writes, uh, Hey, John and Rob, one of two. I hope this isn't a spoiler. The fight scene with Wonder Woman and Cheetah at the end was amazing. I actually like the fight scene with Cheetah and Wonder Woman. I do. It's one of the one of the things I liked about the film. I wish it was longer. Me too. My favorite fight scene in the movie is the White House scene because there's so much emotion between Wonder Woman and Cheetah. Uh, and Wig's performance and the delivery of her lines were so great. Uh, wish the movie didn't have Max in it and was just a movie with Cheetah versus Wonder Woman. And Max can be in the next one. That's, that's one way of looking at it. Uh, Cheetah is a as an a level villain and this movie she's treated like b level that is actually one of my criticisms of the film rob was that Mm. cheetah like you have a wonder woman movie with cheetah and she's not even your climax of the film she's not your she's the gateway fight to get to wonder woman's ultimate climax really can you and I, i use this illustration before can you imagine a uh, a Superman movie or a Batman movie where Joker, the confrontation with Joker isn't the climax of the movie. He's just a gateway to get to something else. That's going to be a climax. That was an unfortunate thing to me, but the combat, the fights themselves. Yeah. I thought the action sequence in the white house was pretty good. I did like the big final fight that she has with cheetah. Although I thought it was short uh, and it could have been played a little bit better. I, I did like those elements, but yeah, you're right. They treated Cheetah in this movie like a B-level villain. Don't make it her movie. It's Wonder Woman's movie, but don't have Cheetah if you're going to have somebody else be your main villain. I, I don't know. Rob, what are your thoughts on that? Look, I, I completely agree with that. It To me, I, I think what was really missing from Wonder Woman for me Maybe because I'm a big fan of George Perez's run in the in the in the 80s post Crisis on Infinite Earths was the fact that the the prime mover behind the Wishing Stone, this malevolent god that they never name, I think that person or that entity should have been a character in the film. Yeah, that he should have been revealed, or it should have been, or she should have been revealed as the big bad, because th- that's literally it was those powers that become. And 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 with the appearance like with Ares in the first movie, uh, could have been really interesting. You know, basically you've got this evil Loki that's completely wreaked havoc upon the world. How did that character feel about it? You know, you'd think that. Well, I made this wishing stone so I could tempt humanity to its doom, and here we are. The missiles are flying. I did it. And and I kept waiting, kind of, for that in the back of my mind, going, well, they keep talking about Dinah's like we don't know what god it is and uh, it can be really bad and I I kept waiting and I thought the fight with Cheetah at the end I'm like well what is being learned here you know usually when villains battle when Batman battles battles the Joker you've got two sides of the the same coin like can Joker exist without Batman and can Batman exist without I mean obviously he can exist without the Joker but there's the yin and yang there and so when there's a confrontation between the two of these characters it means something but Barbara Minerva didn't even know that Wonder Woman existed. She just thought Diana had it going on and she worked at the Smithsonian. And there was no – what did it mean? It was so perfunctory because for the, from a story standpoint, it's like, okay, well, now she's an apex predator and Wonder Woman's going to have to dispatch with her. But it wasn't – it didn't matter to the story. It had no resonance beyond – well, here's a fight scene. Yep. All right. Uh, next up. 
We've got uh, Cody Walker sends in uh, Cody John Walker sends in another one and tips fifty dollars. Thank you again, Cody. A uh, part two of his previous one. I understand death may add weight slash gravitas to the movie, but my enjoyment of the movie is not uh, is not lessened with no deaths. Maybe it's my uh, subjection on it or uh, on it is different, or is my movie education slash film knowledge not at the level of critics? Hashtag longtime fan. No, not at all. Again, going back to it. It's, it's not at all that a lack of death means you can't have tension. Not at all. You can have a lot of movies with no deaths of major significant characters, and you're totally good. Uh, I mean, look at, I mean, other than, you know, Tarkin, I suppose, really, none of the major characters in the original Star Wars movie died, Rob. None of them died. Luke, Luke survives. Han survives. Leia survives. R2, 3PO, even Vader. Uh, well, yeah, Ben Kenobi, but again, he's a secondary character that kind of popped up, but yeah, none of the major characters died. You don't have to have death. The, the thing is, though, if you want, going back to what we were saying earlier, if you want to use the potential of death as your mechanism to create tension, you can't consistently and habitually fake a death and then rescind the death because that takes away the tension that your tool of threatening death creates. Other things can create that tension. You don't, but if you want to use the mechanism of, of the potential of death, then you need to make the potential of death have consequences when that potential is fulfilled. So if you say, oh, this guy could die and he died, right? but he's back 10 minutes later, or 10 months later or whatever, then it removes that tension you created with it. But in general, do you have to have deaths in movies? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like James Bond never dies. But if he gets killed in every single James Bond movie and then is brought back to life 10 minutes later, pretty soon no one's going to care if James Bond is in a life-threatening situation because it won't just won't matter. So it's all about what mechanism you use. All right, thanks again for saying that in, Cody. Appreciate that, man. All right, um... Uh, oh, yeah, we already had Eric's. All right, Eric Lynch also writes, what does Warner Brothers mean they are fast-tracking Wonder Woman 3? Uh, Gal and Patty are already booked for other projects. That pretty much makes them unavailable, at least till 2024. Or does this mean we won't get a Wonder Woman 3 until 2024? Uh, that's not fast-tracking. 2022 would be fast-tracking. Well, I mean, Rob, that's, that's actually a great question because that term fast-tracking is thrown out there all the time. But I think it means different things to different people. I don't right. think fast tracking necessarily means we're going to have this movie in theaters next week. It no. could mean, look, um, there are a lot of stages to a movie getting made. There are many, many stages and procedural things and you know things that they got to go through and get things set up and blah, blah. There's a lot that happens in a movie before they actually get on a set and start rolling a camera. Lots of stuff, sometimes years worth of stuff. When they say fast tracking, it could mean a lot of different things. It could just mean, you know what? We are, we're going to forego our three-month process to find the writers. We're going to forego our whatever, however many long process do this. We are ready for a script to this to start getting written tomorrow. I mean, it could mean that. Rob, when you hear them fast tracking something, what does that generally mean to you? And how do you think it applies to this Wonder Woman 3 situation? Well, I think when they say fast tracking, it means that that it becomes a priority of the studios that, you know, they're 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 going to push it through development as fast as they can and, and get the movie into production. But it becomes it doesn't mean that it's it's 
they're going to spend any less time or care on it. It just becomes this is now a priority of the studios. It's jumped to the head of the class, essentially. And they're going to get it made. They're not going to spend another year developing it. And the, I think the reason, because they already spent a year developing it. I mean, this movie's been done for pretty much, you know, it was supposed to come out, what, six months ago in May? And so they already knew they were going to make Wonder Woman 3. Uh, they've already, I'm sure they already know what the story is. So they're ready to go. You know, it's ready to go into pre-production because they've already pre-produced it. They've got their script ready. The story's ready. The the studio knew they were going to make it. So, boom. So it shouldn't, they're, they're, what they're telling the industry is, don't be surprised if this movie goes into active pre-production in a month or two and we start casting and all that because what they're not telling you is that, well, yeah, COVID allowed us to sit around and we figured this shit out for the last six months. We're ready to go. Yeah. And let's not forget too. It was months ago, months ago that we ran that story. Patty Jenkins came out and said, yep, I've got a third Wonder Woman movie planned and I've got an Amazonian spinoff uh, movie planned and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's, that was all there. She already had it all ready to go. So let's not pretend that Warner Brothers, after the weekend, decided, you know what? Let's go ahead and make that Wonder Woman 3. No, no. This was agreed upon and decided upon, like Rob, you were saying. This was agreed upon ages ago. Ages ago. All right. Let's get in one more here while we still have Robert Meyer Burnett with us. Uh, Russell Amador writes, hey, John. Uh, after a weekend of movies, I can easily say Soul took the Christmas movie crown. Another hit for Pixar. It was a really good movie. Soul it is really, really good. Uh, one that makes you ask yourself, what are you doing with this time here on Earth? Oh, and love the Knicks joke. Thanks, 22, uh, the, for that will never change. I got to say, listen, you have to be a little bit of a sports fan to get it, but the, I don't won't spoil the joke, but the New York Knicks joke in Soul was my biggest laugh out loud moment as a sports fan i laughed totally out loud i think even knicks fans had to get a kick out of it all right let's yep. let's get another one here in so we can get uh rob to chime in on it uh jacob albert writes or jacob albert writes one of two hi john and rob now that the uh amazing season two of mandalorian is over disney plus has finally released the disney gallery mandalorian uh season two episode one making of season two. You and I were just talking about this before we yes, started we the were. show today. Uh, this one episode where we saw behind the scenes of all eight episodes was better than the whole first season of Disney gallery where, where, whereas you said, everyone just talked about why they love star Wars. Well, not the whole thing. There was one or two episodes where all they did was talk about why we love star Wars. Did you or Rob have a chance to watch this first episode? And if so, how did you like it? I hope you enjoyed the Christmas holidays with family. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that ain't Jacob. Now, just so you know what Jacob is talking about is the fact that uh last season after mandalorian season one was done they did this i can't remember was it a six part eight part thing anyway they it, was did this, parts, it was yeah. eight parts they did an eight part documentary series on basically the making of the mandalorian and a couple of episodes were kind of pointless but overall it was really informative and i really liked watching it well they've done the same thing with season two They've done a little docu-series that just started to air about Mandalorian season two. I myself have not watched it yet. And I talked to Rob about this before the show started. We have neither of us have watched it yet. I'm going to start watching it today because you're not the first person, Jacob, to write in and tell me, oh, you got to watch this. I've heard from a couple of people the other day as well saying it's really good. And I have no doubt because, again, again, aside from one or two episodes from last season, which I just thought were kind of a waste of time. Overall, I really enjoyed 
the Disney yeah. Gallery season one. I'm looking forward to this. Rob, what have you heard about this? Are you looking forward to watching this? Yeah, I mean, look, I love, obviously, I love anything to do with the process of filmmaking, but uh, I just heard that it dropped. I didn't know that it was out. I've, I've just assumed that they were going to do it, but I didn't know, and I can't wait to see it. All right, uh, let's move on. Next up. We have, oh, first of all, I got to say, uh, Rob, thank you for being here. I know we've already taken you over time today. You got things you got to do. Thanks a lot. And this is uh, this is Robert Meyer Burnett's final episode for 2000, for the year, for 2020. Crazy. Next time we have Rob on the show, it's going to be 2021. Uh, Rob, have a great uh, quarantine New Year's Eve. I hope uh, you and Elizabeth have a great time with the dogs. Uh, thanks again for being here today. And thanks again for a great year. In the meantime, though, Rob, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Follow me on Instagram, Robert Byer Burnett, or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, where our first annual intergalactic film festival is going on right now where 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 fans and viewers have sent in films the, of that they've made themselves so come check those movies out all right dude thanks a lot for being here and i'll talk to you uh I'll talk to you a little bit later my man all right i'll see you later have a good one happy, happy new year everyone happy new year to you as well rob all right guys that is the one and the only the great mr robert meyer burnett always good to have him here and of course we'll have him back on the show in just a couple of days all right guys with that, down, by the way, thank you to Murray Reich, who sent in a super chat badge in the live chat there. Thank you so much for that, man. I appreciate that. All right. We still got a few minutes here. Let's keep right on rolling through your questions. Next one up is Jedi Lori, who writes, hey, John slash Rob, uh, who we just missed. I know you don't believe that a movie can be objectively good or bad. It's you can't be objectively good or bad. You can't, you can't measure it to quantify it uh, because we all have different tastes. But based on the rules of good storytelling, do you think a movie can have objectively bad storytelling if those rules aren't followed? No. And and the reason why the answer to that is no is because we have seen a number of movies and a number of stories told that completely go against the normal rules of storytelling. And sometimes they turn out terrible and sometimes they turn out great. And people think it turned out break, even though they broke those rules, some of the standard rules, when they go outside the box, sometimes they're really rules. And so the rules, quote unquote rules are constantly being redefined. And here's the thing. When people tell me that, and there are still people who try to argue with me just completely feebly, that movies can be objectively good. It's like, no, but literally that's not possible. Because here's the thing. What are you measuring? Because unless you can quantifiably measure something with a scientific unit of measurement, then you cannot say something is objectively good or bad or objectively everything. The moment opinion comes into it, it's not objective. I can tell you objectively how tall is this camera stand in front of me because there is a scientific unit of measurement that I can measure it that moves the answer beyond opinion. If I measure that camera stand right now and it stands at six foot, 10 and a half inches by scientific measurement, there's no room. There's no debating it. It is standing five feet, 10 inches tall. There's, there's no debating it. It is scientifically measured and proved by empirical non-moving things. There's no, there's no issue of opinion that's brought in. How fast did that guy run the 100-meter dash? There is a scientific measure and units of measurement time that you can measure how fast he ran it. It's not up to your opinion as to whether you thought he ran faster than him. There is a scientific measurement to prove that he ran faster than him. When it comes to movies, what's your measurement? When a guy tells a joke, 
How do you objectively say that joke was funnier than that joke? What is your scientific empirical unit of measurement? There is none. Therefore, it comes down to opinion. And once something comes to opinion, it's not objective. It's not objective. It is, by scientific definition, subjective. And uh, that's so no. I don't think there can be, you can have scripts written that break all the rules and they can turn out to create great experiences for people. So no, it is neither objectively good, nor is it objectively bad. And that's, that's the one rule about movie fandom. A lot of people forget or ignore or whatever, but uh, it it is what it is. All right. Oh, by the way, soul brother Mac just sent in a super chat uh, uh, badge on the live chat there. Thank you, soul brother Mac. I appreciate that, man. All right, let's move on here. Next up, Ryan Loner writes one of three. Uh, I finished Sons of Anarchy season four. Nice. So I'm guessing the idea for this one was the show's already basically Hamlet. So let's go all the way with that. And for the most of that season, it's the best so far. I especially love the way we got uh, the, the way we got a story we really need to see more often where a murderer's attempt to frame someone else is a miserable failure that doesn't fool a single person. Unfortunately, it's also completely undercut by a certain twist in the finale, which I'm not buying at all was the plan. Dude, it's been about five years since I saw the Sons of Anarchy season four finale, so I can't remember which episodes we're talking about. It feels a lot more like they panicked when they realized they had no idea how to end things. But everything up to then is so amazing. I'm definitely still on board. Dude, if I can't I can't remember if season four was the one that ends with Jax's mom, with Gemma murdering the girl over the sink because if that's the season, I can't remember if that was that season or not, because if that's what you're talking about, that to me was the biggest, that was the most awesome ending to a season I've ever seen. That was the, the one that left me with my heart pounding and my mouth gaped open and all that kind of stuff, like completely. I, Yeah, but I, so I, but I just can't remember if that's the one. Uh, I can't remember if that's the episode or not. Again, like it's been several years since I've watched this. I can't remember which events happened in which season, unfortunately, but I'm glad you're getting through it, Ryan. I'm glad you're getting through it. Um, Okay, next up, uh, we've got uh, Nate Dog writes, I'd love to see a prequel to Man of Steel that explores the fall of Krypton and the relationship between Jor-El and Zod. I love the opening scene of Man of Steel. It's just awesome. I call the movie Jor-El and it would end where Man of Steel begins. Um, listen, you guys know my passion for Man of Steel. I love this movie. I love it deeply. I love it passionately. But I'm not generally a big fan of prequel stories. Like, I, okay, we know, because we know what happens to every single character in it. We know what happens to Jarrell. We know what happens with Zod. We know what happens with his generals. We know what happens with the planet's government. We know what the fed of the planet is. I mean, there's just really not anywhere to go with it. Now, I say that, but there are some stories that tell prequel chapters that I do enjoy. I'm just saying, generally speaking, even as much as I love Man of Steel, and I love, I mean, I've got a... Uh, uh, Russell Crowe, it's just above my head here. You can't see it in frame. I've got a Russell Crowe hot toy as Jor-El. It's one of my, it's probably my favorite figure that I have. It's a six inch, uh, Jor-El. I, I'm just saying for me, I probably wouldn't be all that stoked for it just because like I said, in general, I'm not really into, uh, the prequel stories, but Hey man, if they did it, who am I kidding? Of course I'd check it out if they did it, Nate. All right. Thanks for that, man. Uh, Jesse writes, saw Greenland and I really enjoyed it except for the last five minutes. I want to see that. 
I still haven't, I wanted to watch it over the, the Christmas break, but again, we just bought a house. We're getting ready to move. We're doing renovations. It, it became hard for me. I want to see that. Uh, I just saw Greenland and really enjoyed it, except for the last five minutes, a fun thrill wide with likable characters that worked for me again, except for the ending. I would love to see if they shot any alternate endings. Uh, the one they chose felt like a reshoot to me. I get, I can't give any kind of thought or opinion on that because I haven't seen the movie, but I do know that I thought it looked like a lot of fun. I'm a sucker for Gerard Butler. I, I, I ever since 300, I have been. I, I really do like Gerard Butler, and I liked seeing him in these types of movies. I thought the trailers were fun. I mean, they didn't look like Shakespeare, and I'm hearing really good things about it. So I want to see it myself. But I'll keep my eyes open, Jesse. When I do watch the movie, I will keep my eyes open for the last five minutes and see how those how those work for me. All right, Hitchcock is the goat. Writes. Wonder Woman 84 was a hot, convoluted mess, actually more disappointing than Suicide Squad due to expectations. I'm still confident for Wonder Woman 3 and Rogue Squadron because even greats like Patty Jenkins are allowed at least one speed bump. Won't be buying Wonder Woman 84, though. Yeah, listen, I I'm, I, I can't lie. Like, I don't think it was a complete, utter disaster, but I was very I'm, I haven't hid the fact that I was very disappointed in Wonder Woman 84. And it didn't even feel like a Patty Jenkins directed. Like, when you go back and watch like her Emmy-nominated television director stuff, and you watch her previous films, even if you just watched the last Wonder Woman movie, this didn't feel like a Patty Jenkins movie. So I don't know what she did. But I know I was disappointed. And as I say, I say that as an admirer and as a fan of Patty Jenkins, but this, this was a dropped ball. To me, there are people who really loved it, and that's awesome, but for me, it was really a, a missed opportunity and a dropped ball, and I... I I still kind of wrestle with what was the point of it, though. But I, like you, I still have belief in Wonder Woman 3. I still have belief in Rogue Squadron. I'm hoping she's going to learn from these missteps she made in Wonder Woman 84 and moves on and just continues to get better. I hope. We'll see how that turns out. All right. Chris Foster writes, uh, hey, John, I've decided that I'm going to start reading more books this coming year. That's always a good one. You know, I just picked up my brother-in-law, Stan, got me uh, the IMC3PO book by Anthony Daniels. And I've actually got it over there. I'm going to start reading that one. That's going to be the next book I pick up. You know what? I I used to read a bunch of books. I haven't read a lot in the last year or two. And I really want to get back on that. Anyway, I want to start reading more books this coming year, including your book, The Pride. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I'm also currently writing my first book and looking to self-publish. What was one of the hardest things about writing your book? Oh, easy. The, the hardest thing about writing a book is actually writing the book. Like everybody will think that the hardest part about writing the book is um, how do you then get it published and how do you get it out into people's hands? And all that? no, the hardest part about writing a book, the reason why 99% of people who say I want to write a book, never actually write a book is because it's the actual discipline of sitting down and writing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages and actually putting your story together. That's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. People call it writer's block. Some people call it an issue of discipline, but actually just sitting down and doing it and getting it written. That is the hardest part. If you can get that done, if you can just actually push through and write. And my biggest advice I always give to people about writing is this. Even when you've got nothing to write, write anyway. Even if you have no idea what this scene is about, just write. I always say you cannot steer a parked car. 
Once a car is moving, you can start to steer it. But if you just keep the car in park and expect to know and expect to be able to steer the car, you can't. So even if you just start writing gibberish, like I don't know what this scene's about, so I'm just gonna start writing. Um, a dog was in a park and he saw a cat, and then a ball came rolling down the sidewalk, and pizza smelled good. I mean, even if you're just writing gibberish, just start writing. Because if you just start writing, you're going to start to you're going to start to then be able to start nudging. You realize oh, that didn't work, I and mean, you're going to be able to start steering yourself, and eventually you get there. The biggest problem with a lot of writers is once they hit that writer's block, they use that writer's block as an excuse to stop writing until they're inspired again. I have always found the best thing to do is then just start writing gibberish if you have to. Just keep writing. That's that's kind of my take on that. Good luck on that, Chris Foster. A lot of people say they want to write a book. Very few people get around to doing it. All right, Scott Brown writes, I asked two questions on the Wonder Woman 84 discussion. Uh, the ending I was talking about was the Pedro in the blue uh, light, yellow light lasso crap <laughs> that left me like, huh? What? That made no sense. And, and the tacked on cheese fest that was the Christmas scene, uh, not Linda. Um, if you're talking about the scene where Diana's having conversation with the, the scarf guy. I actually thought that worked personally. I got to say, I thought it worked. And the reason I thought that worked was it was the only part of the movie that made me feel like Diana had any progression as an, as a person of a, as an individual, because that scene was showing us that Diana learned a lesson in her experience with Steve that she needs to try to start living her life because she has up until that point, according to the movie, just not lived her life. She's been content to just go to a job, go home, save people and not have a life of her own. And it just felt like in that conversation with scarf guy, um, <laughs> again, and was, and was joking around as that scene was happening. She's like, wouldn't it be funny if Danny just said, hey, nice scarf. By the way, your penis has been in my mouth. Just wanted to say that. Anyway, uh, which made me laugh a lot. Anyway, so scarf guy. That conversation with scarf guy um, was the only really indication to us in the movie that Diana was kind of moving forward in her life as an individual. Um, and th therefore, on that level, I thought that worked. But yeah, the whole scene about oh now diana can speak to the whole world i'm really not sure they uh, were able to to make that <laughs> that did, that made no sense yeah that that part i completely agree with you scott I, I again i disagree on the christmas scene but i totally agree with you on that other thing 100 all right an anonymous viewer writes um i figured out the wonder woman 84 body snatch thing diana didn't wish for steve to come back to life she wished to see steve again the stone did the minimum required and put steve in the other dude so diana would see steve when she looked at him um yeah i don't buy that <laughs> i'll be i'll be on listen i want to be an apologist for this movie i really do but i i don't buy that and by the way don't forget when diana Despite the fact that it was Chris Pine in the movie, don't forget when Diana was looking at him, she was not seeing literally Chris Pine. Because remember when he first shows up at the event, says Diana, she looks at him like, I don't know you. When she realizes it's Steve, then she says, all I see is you, right? But that was not literal. She didn't literally see Steve. Right. She but she saw the person of Steve, even though he was in Scarf Guy's body. 
So yeah, I want to be an apologist for this. I really do. But I, I just, I don't buy that one. And I was like, I gotta tell you, brother, I don't, I don't agree with you on that one. All right. Scott Brown writes, the other question I had about 101.84 was about, uh, I don't know what CBM is going backwards to the days of Batman and Robin and Sam Raimi days like cheese and just cringeworthy, uh, crap like that mall scene and that stupid ending. The world must come together as one and renounce their wish. Listen, I'm all for that stuff. If you execute it right. Like if, if you had given me uh, a three paragraph elevator pitch for Wonder Woman 84 and you come up to that ending, the ending, the world must come together as one and renounce the wishes they had. If you give me that as an elevator pitch, I see potential in that. You could do something, but it's like everything else. It comes down to execution. Do you execute it right? Do you pull it off? Do you make it work? Do you make it work? And if they hadn't found a way to make it work and they didn't, at least to me, then nobody, then it wouldn't be a problem. Like, here's a great example of this. Somebody was writing in, somebody wrote into me and said, you know, John, I don't know the whole idea of this thing. There's some magic dream stone that if somebody gets their hands on it, they can make uh, the deepest desires and wishes of other people come true. And at the end, they got to try to destroy it. That just sounds silly. And I said, okay, maybe, but let me give you another elevator t- pitch. A giant purple alien is running around the galaxy trying to collect six magic stones so he can make half the universe disappear. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? Of course it sounds ridiculous. Giant purple monster collecting magic rocks so he can make the half the universe disappear. That sounds ridiculous. It, but... They executed it to perfection and Infinity War and Endgame to turn out to be of the most successful comic book movies, yay movies of all time, right? So it's not about just that base idea. It's about how do you then flesh it out and give it uh, it relevance and give it meaning? And uh, (laughs) Winter always is reminding us in the live chat about don't forget about the Thanos. Hey, don't forget about the Thanos copter. If you don't know about that, jump on Google and search for Thanos Copter. It'll kill you. Yes, that was really in the comic books. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, so it could have worked. I, I didn't so much have a problem with the concept of it. It's just, it just didn't execute right. It did. It just wasn't done in a way that worked for me. Again, for others it did, and that's awesome. But for me, it didn't, Scott. Anyway, there's just that. All right, Rogue Mammoth writes. Hey, John and Rob, who's not here right now. Here's a fun piece of trivia. Both Chadwick Boseman and Michael B. Jordan played the character Reggie Porter on the soap opera All My Children. I did not know that. Uh, Boseman was replaced by Jordan after playing the character for just one week. I had never heard that before. I had never, ever, ever heard that before. I need, I'm going to need to go and check that out. I got to see if that's true. That's true. That's a really good piece of trivia, Rogue Mammoth. Thanks for giving me that. I got to look that up. That's a great piece of trivia. All right, next up. Um, uh, Nedrick Williams uh, Montague writes, something different, something different. Top 10 U2 songs. Oh, I'll like this one. Number one, still haven't found what I'm looking for. Love that one. Number two, Where the Streets Have No Name. That's my actual all-time favorite song, period, is Where the Streets Have No Name. Uh, Number three, With or Without You. Number four, Bad. Number five, 40. Number six, Angels of Harlem. Angels of Harlem. Uh, Number seven, Walk On is great. Number eight, one. Number nine, Pride. Pride, I'd have much, much higher than that. Number 10, Love Rescue Me. That is good. I mean, Elevation. uh, Listen, U2's got about 
40 songs I completely, and, and by the way, right now, very appropriate, New Year's Day. New Year's Day, which is great to use right now. It's a, I love that U2 song. All is quiet on New Year's Day. I love that song. All right. Thanks for that, Nerdrick. I appreciate that. Always love, always love seeing a little bit of U2 love. All right. Hurricane, uh, Hurricane Pierce writes, um, hey, John, I've been watching for about five years now. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. And I've always wanted to start my own channel, but never did. Two months ago, I started one talking about my first love movies and I'm loving it. I'm having so much fun and meeting new people. Thank you. That is great. I'm always telling people, dude, listen, add your voice to the fan community. It is fun. Start a blog, podcast, or YouTube channel. It's just fun. And it deepens your appreciation for it. And it gives you an opportunity to contribute to the fan community. And it doesn't matter if you just have two people reading it or five people listening to it or 50 people watching it. The fact is you're creating, you're contributing now to the fan community. Try to make it a positive space, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's good for every film fan to do that to some degree. At least try it if you have the time and the desire to do it. But I think it's good. So good on you, man, for doing that. I'm proud of you. All right, next up. Uh, Diana's Tierra Batarang writes, I took my dad to see Ghost Rider in 2006. He never forgave me, and I hated superhero movies so much after that film. But he watched Wonder Woman 84 with me and actually enjoyed it. That's great. Uh, I think it was the relationship between Max and his son that resonated with us both. Hey, listen, again, like I said, the movie was a disappointment to me, but there are definitely, the reason I don't think it's a complete train wreck is because there are a number of elements in the film that I thought really worked. And they didn't do the stereotypical, my son is such a pain in my ass. No, the dude loved his son. And he was struggling to figure out how to be a dad. And there's something about that that really worked for me. And I'm in complete agreement with both you and your dad. I thought that was one of the strong points of the film. It may not have resolved great, but I, I personally thought that was one of the strong points of the film, and I enjoyed that element of it. I'm glad you guys did too. All right, thanks for sharing that, uh, Tierra. All right, Scott Brown writes, I agree with you on Wonder Woman 84 doing nothing to move the character forward. In fact, it does more harm to the DCU than good at the end uh, of Wonder Woman. At the end of Wonder Woman, you can see why she stays hidden. But now, uh, why would she not get involved in the other wars but save a kid in a mall? Yeah, I, I, listen, there is clearly elements of the DCU that are being retconned. There are, there are clearly elements of the DCU that they're retconning and contradicting because when we are introduced to Diana in wonder in Batman versus Superman, they created this really cool, mysterious mythology around her about how she was around and then she just disappeared. There are some glimpses of photographs of her from world war one, but other than that, she's a total ghost. And she said, I withdrew from humanity for a hundred years and blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's all out. Hey, see the girl in the shiny gold outfit at the mall running around in front of hundreds of people. I mean, right. They are clearly retconning some things. And and really, so Diana can fly now doing her Christopher Reeve Superman flying pose. I was just missing the John Williams music. Bum, 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 bum. She's flying through the air and lassoing lightning and whatever. They're clearly retconning a bunch of things. Is that a good or a bad thing? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't I don't like contradicting your, your own canon. I don't like retconning things per se. Stay consistent with the crap you're doing or reboot. That's what I normally feel. But hey, if they use these changes to tell some good stories later, then I'm fine with it. But you're right, man. That stuff stood out to me as well. All right. 
World Girl writes, uh, part one. Hey, John and crew. Uh, I have loved the American live action movie industry with a passion, but American politics 2020 together with the reality of the American Corona response bled into my psyche to the point that I currently, I can't actually watch any Americans America saves the day movie. Do you think the reality of American politics has slash will affect the international box office of American made live action movies? Happy holidays and keep bringing the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. Now, look, I don't, I don't like to get into politics on this show because on this show, um, we're all movie fans. You know, you, when you come to the door of the John Campion show, you are welcome. If you're a movie fan or a, you know, a streaming fan, a storytelling fan, the stories that are told on screen, if you're a fan of that stuff, you are welcome here. I don't care what our political persuasions are in here. We're film fans together. Um, but I mean, there have been, you know, movie stories, about like some international markets sometimes have changed the names of certain movies. We've seen examples of this in the past to take overt American references out of the titles because that will make those movies work better in international markets. We have seen that. Could that play into it again moving forward? Maybe, but I would also say this. I don't think an American made movie action movie is going to turn like, uh, whether it's a Mission Impossible or whether it's uh, another one, I don't think it's going to turn people off if it's not, you know, a, a movie that is America to the Rescue, Part Five, The Chronicles of a, of America. You know, I that there may be some international markets will that will rub people the wrong way, maybe that, but but generally speaking, just American made action films. I don't know. I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of, uh, I don't think there'd be a lot of pushback on that if, if, if it's kind of taken neutral on that level. Because yeah, th- th- there is a very strong political environment right now. And that could rub a lot of people the wrong way. And I, I appreciate that. I do. I understand that. But I don't know that it'll affect the things that it doesn't relate to. So that's my thought on that world, girl. And maybe I'm wrong about that. I haven't, I haven't given it tons of thought. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's kind of my initial feeling. It's a deep question. It's a good question. Thank you for asking it, world girl. Appreciate it. All right, next up. Um, Sean G writes, and, ooh, and we're almost out of time here today, guys. So I'll just get through just a couple more quickly here. Sean G writes, in the past, you have mentioned that having the same director within a franchise may not be the best. With reports of Patty Jenkins coming back for Wonder Woman 3 and uh, the so-so reaction Wonder Woman 4, is her coming back to the theaters? Is her coming back the best for the franchise? Thanks. Glad you brought that up, Sean. See, here's the thing. What Sean's referring to is, generally speaking, I'm not a fan of one director sticking on one franchise for too long because I believe directors are creative beings. And I think if creative beings stay on one single property for too long, I think there have been many examples of this where their creativity starts to get stifled a bit. However, a good way to um, compensate for that or to make up for that is to make sure that the director does other films while they're still doing this franchise. The best example of this ever was Christopher Nolan doing the Batman series. Because what Christopher Nolan did was he did other movies and then he did um, Batman Begins. And then he went and did a different movie. And then he did The Dark Knight. And then he went and did a different movie. And then he did The Dark Knight Returns. So he was constantly moving away from the franchise and then coming back. Moving away, then coming back. 
I get a little bit nervous when a director just lives on one because like take Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, for example, Sam Raimi made a really great first Spider-Man movie. Then he made one of the best comic book movies of all time in Spider-Man two. And then he went right into did Spider-Man three. And you could just tell that creativity kind of took a hit. Cause I just think he was staying on the franchise for too long with Patty Jenkins. They may be able to avoid that because uh, she's got the Cleopatra project. She's got the star Wars project. I think one of those will happen before Wonder Woman 3. Don't know for sure yet. But otherwise, it is something that concerns me a little. But hey, I mean, look, the Russo brothers were on the MCU stuff straight without doing other projects. Now, granted, they had Kevin Feige there, but still, and that worked out well. So it's not like it's an absolute rule. It's not an absolute rule. It's just something that concerns me a little bit, right? Because we've seen that happen before. So it's, if Patty Jenkins has other films she's working on too, I think that'll keep her sharp, I hope. And uh, and we'll see what happens as moving forward. Anyway, good question, man. All right, next up. Uh, come on, give us Man of Steel 2 uh, already. Became a fan uh, over your Man of Steel review back in the AMC days. It's always crazy how many people first started watching my stuff with that Man of Steel review. Man of Steel, uh, top 10 comic book movie of all time. Uh, for some weird reason... Uh, they already given Wonder Woman 3 their blessing. LOL, over under 60% Man of Steel 2 in the next four years. Uh, we need Man of Steel 2. Okay, but here's the thing. Here's the inconvenient truth, all right? As a Man of Steel fan, okay? As a, as a Man of Steel uh, desperately beloved property guy, okay? I love Man of Steel. Everybody knows this. But if you want to ask... Why did we get Wonder Woman 2 and we're getting Wonder Woman 3 before we can even get a Man of Steel 2? Well, there's actually a relatively simple question for that. Uh, as I bring up the wrong thing. Man of Steel 1 was not well received. Man of Steel 1 was not well received. And if I go, give me a second here. If I go and look, uh, Man of Steel box office, then we can look at the financial results of Man of Steel. Man of Steel made um, $668 million. Now, that's not pocket change. That's that's not bad. But for a Superman movie? For a Superman movie? $668 million? When the Marvel films were making, like, way more money than that? So then if we look at Wonder uh, Woman box office... Let me bring this up. Wonder Woman box office... Wonder Woman, not Superman. Wonder Woman made $822 million. And its critic and audience responses were much bigger. So while people like me um, can sit here and lament, where the hell is another Man of Steel movie? Where the hell? But if we want to ask the question, how come we get a Wonder Woman 2 and not a Man of Steel? Well, because despite, despite the fact that this bothers me, the fact of the matter is Wonder Woman, the first movie, was far better received than Man of Steel was, which is dumb because <laughs> I love Man of Steel. But the reality is the first Wonder Woman movie was far better received than Man of Steel was. And the first Wonder Woman movie far exceeded financially what the first Man of Steel did, right? You, you don't have to, it, it doesn't take... I mean, I can be slow sometimes. 
but I don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out that math. You got two movie franchises, both come out with the first with the with the, their first films. One is very divisive and does okay at the box office. One is massively loved by the audience and critics and did significantly better financially, made almost a couple hundred million dollars more than the other one did. Which movie is going to get more attention in a future franchise to, to make a sequel and to franchise it more? Obviously, the one that had the better reception and made more money. Now, again, I don't like it because I'm a Man of Steel guy. So it is that. Now, as far as over under 60% that we get a Man of Steel 2 in the next four years, over. Uh, like I said, I, I believe the deal's already been done. Warner Brothers is going to get J.J. Abrams. I mean, wait until it's official. But just from my perspective here, they're going to get J.J. Abrams to make another Superman movie. Um, and why will they give it to J.J. Abrams? Here's why. Because J.J. Abrams came in and did Star Trek. And all three of his Star Trek movies were the highest three grossing Star Trek films of all time. And I really love the Star Trek movies he did. Other than Into Darkness, which I still liked. I still liked Into Darkness. Didn't love it, but I loved the other two. Then he did Star Wars. And what happened when he did Star Wars? He did The Force Awakens, and it is still the number one domestic box office film of all time. Even more than Endgame. And then he did another Star Wars movie, and that made over a billion dollars. So Warner Brothers is sitting back and looking at J.J. Abrams going, huh, your three Star Trek movies are the highest grossing of all time, and they were very well received, other than Into Darkness. And the two Star Wars movies you did, one is the highest grossing domestic U.S. box office film of all time, and the other one, which was terrible, The Rise of Skywalker, but that made over a billion dollars. Okay. So, yeah. I, I believe they are giving J.J. the keys to the kingdom, and you can be worried about that or you can celebrate that. I'm kind of a wait-and-see sort of thing, but at least they're going to move forward. And so I, I will take the over 60% that we are going to get a Man of Steel 2 uh, in some shape or form within the next four years. I, I believe we will. At least my fingers are crossed. My fingers are crossed. All right, uh, let's see. Calvin Patel writes, I also thought Wonder Woman 84 movie was okay. The plot felt like an episode of The Flash to me a little bit. Actually, did that's actually a really good comparison now that I think about it. It felt a little bit like an episode of The Flash to me. Also, how great is Pedro Pascal? He's fantastic. Uh, we need him in every movie. He delivered back-to-back father-son moments this past week. Yeah, both in, uh, obviously, as The Mandalorian and in this one. I, again, I'm not saying I loved everything they did with the Max Lord character. I didn't. But as far as just a performance that an actor gave, hey, Pedro Pascal got hounded the hand of the script. It's his job to act this script as well as he can. And I thought he did a really good job. I thought he did a really good job. Uh, and, and see, here's the thing. A lot of people misinterpret that if you say um, that you liked an actor's performance in a movie, that you are necessarily saying that that means you liked the character in the movie. That's not always the same thing. That's quite often very, very different things, right? That's quite often very different things. And in this case, this is a great example of a character that I didn't think was very well written, but the performance given in it was great, I, I just thought his performance was great. So that's my thought on that. All right, next up, Stubble McShave writes, uh, 
I had problems with the wishing thing. What happens when two wishes completely contradict each other? Yeah, example, one guy's wishing for more nukes while another wishes for all the nukes to disappear or several people wishing the richest, wishing to be the richest guy in the world. That's right. What happens if two different people say, I want to be the strongest guy in the world? What happens then? I mean, the, to be honest, that that is a nitpick. When I think about that stuff, I admit it's a bit of a, it's a nitpick. It's getting into the minutia of it. But uh, you're right. It does kind of point out they didn't really think it through a lot, but it but it is admittedly a smaller nitpick. All right. Thanks for that uh, stubble. Next up, movie theater fan rights. First question I asked was, did you see Wonder Woman 84 in theaters? And if the answer is no, then I know I'm getting a watered down review. While story, dialogue and acting doesn't change the experience, sound and quality do. Imagine uh, Inception reviews based on seeing on TV. Um, uh, Imagine watch movie trailers, love story in black and white. Uh, One of the reasons why the great uh, directors Scorsese, Nolan, Tarantino, etc. Fight for theatrical release. Looking forward to when you can see it correctly. IMAX, Dolby, and uh, and by the way, theater rating B plus thoughts. Well, I mean, listen, we I addressed this a little bit earlier. The experience of watching a movie in a movie theater is just a better experience. And movies, like we talked about a little bit earlier, are at the end of the day experiential events. So there's no doubt. That being said, watching a movie at home versus watching it in theater will not make a bad movie magically a good movie. Having a really bad line of dialogue spoken in a movie you're watching at home versus being spoken in a movie you're watching in theater does not change the very bad written line of dialogue. Is there an impact? Yes. Is the theater experience a better experience? Yes. Does it fundamentally change the building blocks of what the movie are? No. No. I mean, it's not like I watched Man of Steel in the movie theater and I loved it. I'm not going to then watch it on TV on my TV two days later and suddenly find it to be a terrible movie because I saw one in theaters. A difference? Yes. Does it alter the experience a bit? Absolutely. I think the experience of watching that gorgeous, beautiful plane scene over the clouds as the fireworks are going off? Absolutely. Does it fundamentally, though, change my opinion of a movie? No, not really. But... Like everything else when it comes to the art and our experiences, it is by nature subjective and maybe it's a bigger impact on you. And so I appreciate what you're saying. Again, I I do agree that I think there is a difference, but something that changes something good to bad, probably not. But uh, who knows? It'll be be interesting to see if I ever do get a chance to watch it on a big screen because we have no movie theaters open where I live, unfortunately. Uh, Let's see. Stubble McShave writes, I really disliked Wonder Woman 84, but I'm laying most of the blame on the writing. As I understand it, Jeff Johns was the head writer, and I lay the blame mostly at his feet or finger. All right. Here's, I I kind of addressed the Jeff Johns things before, too. Here's the thing about the Jeff Johns thing. Is it possible that Jeff Johns' involvement here is the reason Wonder Woman 84 didn't work nearly as well as the first Wonder Woman movie? It's possible, but we don't know that. We don't know that. 
For all we know, Jeff Johns was following Patty Jenkins's lead, right? So yeah, the Jeff Johns thing is possible. We can blame him if we want, but if we blame him, we have to still acknowledge I'm blaming him, but I don't actually know that it was his fault. I don't actually know that the wild card difference between the first movie and this one was Jeff Johns's involvement. And that's what made this movie bad. We don't know that. Uh, fair to speculate. Yes. Is it a possibility? Yes. Can we definitively say that's what made this film less good than the first one? Now we can't say that. We don't know that for all we know, it was Patty Jenkins doing it. And I love Patty Jenkins, but for all we know, it could have been her, but I see where you're coming from on that stubble. Thanks for sharing, man. All right. Next up. Angry Ogre writes, I watched the world. I watched the Wonder Woman 84 yesterday and I did have some fun with it, but there was a lot of moments that took me out of the film that made me go, hmm, that doesn't seem right. Uh, that and the weak plot really did lessen the experience for me. And yeah, again, it all comes down to the execution, right? Angry Ogre. It's like, like you can have this general idea for the film and that's great. You can make anything work. Hell, you can take a movie about plastic building blocks and make a great movie out of it talking about the the original Lego movie. You can make a great movie out of that stupid premise. It's all about execution. What how, what meat do you put on the bones? And that's what I found was really the problem with Wonder Woman 84 is a lot of the meat and a lot of those moments like, wait a minute, that makes no sense. There was just too much of that stuff for me. But I, I like you, I had some fun with it. There were moments of the film that I did enjoy. And that's why I don't think it was a total train wreck of the film. But yeah. All right. Captain Blue Pants writes, you're telling me they will have made three whole Wonder Woman films uh, in the time it takes to run the circus that is the Flash movie. I'm still waiting and hoping for certain film DC announcements like four years ago. They've barely managed two films a year up until now. Yeah, listen, there's no getting around. The Flash situation has been one of the biggest circuses uh, in the movie industry. That, New Mutants, um, what else? Oh, there have been, uh, but yes, the Flash situation has been one of the biggest, most ridiculous circuses we've had in movies and the movie world for a long time. No getting around it. It's absolutely true. I, they have had, they have had no less than three different sets of directors come and go three or four different sets of writers come and go. They had all that ridiculous nonsense where Ezra Miller said he wanted his, he had a, pitch for the movie he wanted his script done and warner brothers threw that out but then they lost another set of directors just because warner brothers even considered using that one now listen they've got a very good director on board right now but they've had very good directors on board before too yeah man it's i don't know they certainly have some exciting things lined up like the michael keaton thing the brad or brad pitt the uh the ben affleck thing they've certainly got some pretty exciting things lined up for a flash movie but yeah i mean at this point i'll just believe it when i see it <laughs> i'll just believe it when i see it captain blue pants all right next up patrick writes oh and i oh i've gone over time here patrick writes uh with day and date now a real thing what do you think about reaction channels that include footage of the movie in general our reaction channel are we are reaction channels safe from copyright strikes uh what do you think uh is also the future of trailer reactions um no every listen the whole concept of fair use is completely misunderstood by most people Whenever you use copywritten material, copyright material in something you're publishing, you absolutely not only run the risk of a copyright strike, you absolutely run the risk of getting sued. 
That's why when I made my movie, movie trailers, a love story, one of the most expensive things that I had to pay for, for my movie was my copyright lawyer. My copyright lawyer was one of the most expensive things of my entire movie. And my copyright lawyer, who's an expert in copyright law, his main job was go through every second of my movie and make sure that everything, all the copywritten material I was using was properly foundationally being used and exhibited that fell under the doctrine of fair use in a proper airtight way. And when I, I thought I did, and I, I have a law background, I thought I did. And so when I gave him to take the first, when I gave him the copy, an early draft of the movie to go through it, I was shocked how many notes I got back. So you got to change this, 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 this. I mean, it was just tons of it. Um, and that's coming from somebody who understands fair use legal doctrine and has some experience with it. And even I had a laundry list of things I had to go back and change. I mean, fact checker, Jonathan had to go and re- rework the movie, spent, had to spend weeks reworking the movie to make sure we did things the right way and blah, blah, blah. So you always have to be careful. The future of trailer reactions won't change. I mean, there are still, whether a movie's coming out on, Netflix or whether movies coming out in theaters, trailers, a trailer, and people are going to react to them. Like when the first trailer for Mandalorian came out ages ago, not season two, like the first trailer for Mandalorian came out ages ago, boom, tons of trailer reactions. So I don't really think that part's going to change too much. All right. Min Tran writes, uh, John, are you going to do a top 10 movies this year? Nope, no plans. There's no point this year. This year is a write-off. There are certainly some great movies this year. There are. Trial of Chicago 7, The Gentleman, Soul. I mean, look, there's there were a number of really great movies this year. But as far as I'm concerned, there's absolutely no point in doing a top 10 movies list this year. It, this year was a write-off. You'd have to put a giant asterisk beside it. What I am going to do is a most anticipated of 2021 video. That we've got coming up pretty quick. Uh, but a top 10 thing in the year. No, I just don't see any point in it personally. All right. Last question today, guys. Uh, Ahmed Z writes, Hey, John, I loved your movie. Thank you so much, Ahmed. I appreciate that. I purchased it to own it on Vimeo. Thank you, man. I hope you had a Merry Christmas and congrats to you and Anne on your new home. Thank you very much. My favorite show ever is 24 with Keith, uh, with Kiefer Sutherland as a uh, Jack Bauer. Do you think Fox and Disney will ever bring it back? No. I don't think they will partially because I I don't think Kiefer Sutherland has any interest in coming back. Here's the thing too. The first season of 24 was awesome. Like just awesome. The, the, the novelty of it, just the thing is being told in real time over 24 episodes. I mean, it was a crazy, awesome thing. And they had other strong seasons as well, but it started to taper off. And then they even tried to do that reboot of 24. And, I don't know. Listen, 24 is a very recognizable IP. Maybe they can do something with it, but I don't know if it'll be with Keith or Southern because I thought I heard that he had no interest in really coming back and doing it again. Maybe I'm thinking of something else entirely, but uh, I loved particularly that first season of 24. That first season of 24. You know what? I think 24, season one of 24 was the first thing I watched when I moved to LA. I think I rented the entire first season. I watched, I binged the entire first season and like, five or six days. It was kind of crazy. Anyway. All right, guys, listen, 
Uh, for everybody else from on, on Canon, more like Schmannon, uh, William Kwan, uh, Mr. Gus, and on. Listen, I'm going to do a companion video. Uh, I know I did one yesterday too, but we still have a bunch of questions to get caught up on. I'm going to do a companion video a little bit later today. And we're going to start off with your questions. We're going to get through a whole ton of bunch of the questions more. Make sure you come back a little bit later this evening and I'll have that companion video up. And guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campia Show, thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Special thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here. And an extra special thank you to all of you guys who sent in the live questions because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here involved with the John Campia Show, thank you guys very, very much for your support. Guys, don't forget, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. I will have an episode of the John Campion Show tomorrow, so make sure you guys come on back and join us for that. All right, guys, that'll do it for me. Thanks so much for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>